episode 264 of Mitch Unfiltered with Hotshot Scott fresh off his little visit to Husky Stadium. Hey, I left the house again. Can you believe it? <laughs> you went to the Apple Cup. I sure did. Is that your first ever Apple Cup? Have you ever been to an Apple Cup? Well, if you remember, I told a story a year or two ago about running a cop off the road on the way back from Pullman. Oh, one year. yes. So not my first. But yes. My first one yes. at Husky Stadium, weirdly. Really? I, yeah, I'd never been to All one these in Seattle. Years. I know. Weird, right? Yeah. It feels like, yeah, I don't know why I've never gone, but it was awesome. It was what a lot was of fun. What was better, Apple Cup Friday? I guess it was Saturday. Apple Cup Saturday or Thanksgiving Day Thursday? Which, oh. did you, which day did you enjoy more, Hot Shots? Boy, that's a tough one. Uh, I love asking tough questions. The Apple Cup, probably. I mean, it was a really? full day really? of guerrilla so let's, warfare, let's compare. sports Let's watching. compare and contrast on this episode 264. <laughs> yeah. Where were you Thanksgiving Day and what'd you eat? What, you want a full laundry list? No, 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 okay. No. Um, I was at friend's house, same ones we go to every year. It's like a friend's giving. You don't go to a father-in-law's? Father-in-law's in Arizona. Okay. So we passed okay. on that. Okay. So yeah, four families who don't have extended family, and then a couple yeah. new people. Kids, so up in the high. Yeah, it's one of my daughter's friends. And then uh, you ate. Oh, the usual, man. We tore it up. Are you th- you're a Thanksgiving Day foodie are you a foodie on thanksgiving day yeah it's weird i don't eat it you know i, I don't buy like stove top throughout the year but when it's stuffing sitting there i'm like Fuck yeah let's go this looks awesome So it's the I only it time all. all year that you'll have stuffing probably yeah me too <laughs> I don't how about that. turkey <laughs> yeah of course yeah only time all year you'll have turkey that kind like we don't roast a turkey in no, our no, oven you never know. how about like just turkey sandwich would you ever sit down and have a turkey sandwich <laughs> on whole wheat bread we once had this discussion about you only like turkey cold cuts because you think it's healthy and you denied no, that no that's saying not you true. actually like the flavor you like the way it tastes turkey oh i like other sandwiches i know but tur- I'm talking tur- about- i eat turkey all the time okay so that's why i'm asked i sort of poo-pooed it back then you did but now i think i'm in on turkey cold cut i, I, I eat it all the time now i love turkey well turkey sliced turkey yeah sliced i eat it all it's the great. time yeah. Like almost every day. Is that right? Yeah, almost every day I have myself a turkey <laughs> I sandwich. love it now. So, yeah. yes, I'll, I will eat that throughout yeah. the year. So you had your stuffing. Oh, you bet. Yeah, you gravy. Have, you have your pumpkin pie. Sure. I think I overdid it. I, I don't know if it, oh, I don't know if many people Santa do that on things. Yeah, Santa overdid it. Oh. <laughs> Santa just flat overdid it. Flat overdid it, Calabro. <laughs> flat overdid That's right, it. Yeah. And then you went to the Apple Cup on Saturday and you saw yourself a hell of a hell of a football match. You, that's right. It yeah. was the uh Was it supposed to be? No, it wasn't. No. I don't know why. I always felt like the Huskies were gonna win. Yeah, just like this week. But I never but I never <laughs> I never felt like they were going to like pull away or I don't know. It just felt like they just couldn't pull away from Wazoo. Episode 264 of Mitch Unfiltered, by the way, is available everywhere where podcasts are found. Kind of. Subscribe on any podcast platform. You've got your Apples and your Spotify's. You got your Googles. You want to listen and rate and review us. Hopefully five stars. They really help. You've got more regular shows on a weekly basis, although we took the week off for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Typically for a patron at $5 a month, you get your, your peace show with Danny O'Neill. You get your shooting the shit with Slick. You get your around the NFL with Randy Mueller, the Seahawks no table, Brian Nemhauser and Brady Henderson, all for just $5 a month, go to MitchUnfiltered.com and become a patron. And as I like to say, especially this holiday season, mm-hmm. if you find yourself really interested in extra content, if this three-hour extravaganza isn't enough each week and you want the 30-minute little shorter shows and you can't afford the $5 a month, 
Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. Write me an email. Tell me, hey, I'd love to have it, but I just can't do it, and I'll figure something out. And don't forget, if you're sitting around at home, you can say, Alexa, play Mitch Unfiltered. Boom. See, you once told me that before. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever done that before. Yeah, you have to have a Prime subscription, which I feel oh. like everyone in the world does. You have Amazon Prime, right? I mean, I don't know if I do. It's like a yearly thing. Everyone. Anyway, it was kind of cool. I forgot about that. Yeah, Alexa, play Mitch Unfiltered, and then you have us yeah. all throughout the house, whatever you need, our I, voices. I was somewhat freaking out on Friday that I didn't have an Amazon Prime. Everybody left the house. <laughs> And I'm at the house, and there's the first ever Black Friday NFL game. Did you know about that? Yeah, I did see that. The New York oh, yeah, Jets right. were facing the Miami Dolphins yep. in the first ever oh. Black Friday <laughs> I know Amazon Prime game. I had Max here. We had Bread here. We had everybody left on Friday to go, like, I don't know, Black Friday shopping or do whatever yeah, yeah. I wouldn't do. Correct. And at first, I was like, oh, my God, Jets-Dolphins – in peace, mm -hmm. in absolute peace. Nobody here. Yeah. And then I realized it was on Amazon Prime. <laughs> where are you? I need you back. <laughs> oh, my God. Whatever happened to the days where I could just pop uh, on NBC, CBS, or Fox? That's right. So I had to finagle a little bit, and I got the phone ready. I started texting people. Yeah, you figured it out. How do I do it? How does Dad do it? Do we have Amazon Prime? Am I going to be able to watch this thing? Of course you do. So I freaked out a little bit. Yeah, but you figured it out, right? Yeah, but I don't like the broadcast on Amazon Prime. Maybe it's our setup. It could be our setup because other people tell me I'm crazy. Mm. But when I watch those games on it, do you watch games on it? Yeah. Like the Thursday night games? Yeah. Does it look the same to you? It looks a little different. I, I can't put my finger on Neither what can it is. I. It's not. Not as fluid, maybe? Yes, or? not as fluid. Yeah. That is a perfect word. You. It just looks and different. And that's the end of episode 264. That's See a perfect word. Yeah. Yes. Something about it. There's something about, and maybe it's in my head. But I don't feel the same watching yeah. the game on Prime that I do when I watch like a CBS or Fox game. There might be a know. camera expert that could explain to us, you know, the rates and all that yeah, and compression. I don't know. If it's I don't a know. Camera thing or if yeah. it's an a, a, you're watching on Wi-Fi. I guess that may be. Not, yeah, but when you stream a movie, it always looks perfect, right? Yeah, you yeah. don't feel like it looks. Different. But this is live. This is a live yeah. event. Something about it just looks a little different. A little off. Yep, yep. And it doesn't sound as great. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I haven't noticed that, but. Look at us. Dear Mitch. <laughs> yeah. I started listening to you while I was in college around 1995 and 1996. Our kids are the same age. I listened to episode one when it happened, and I listened again today. We we re-released right. episode one to patrons mm -hmm. over the course of the Thanksgiving Day week. It was a great message then, but it hit me a little different this time. I lost my little sister in 2016, and I heard things in your message that I wasn't ready for back then. Her death still haunts me every day, and I'm not the same person I was before. Getting help and talking about her with friends and family means so much. My wife and my sister were extremely close, and her death hit her just as hard as me. Knowing that gave me someone to share the pain with. Your message about feeling lonely is so true. And thanks for sharing it again. Much love and respect, Rob. Nice. I mean, you so, said that this, you thought that, well, you know this helped people because you got so much feedback. I got a lot of, unless people yeah. were just bullshitting me, I got a lot of, <laughs> I don't think they I were. I got a lot yeah. of feedback that, you know, back at the time, back in 20, whatever it was, 18. Yeah. I got a lot of feedback, and I'm starting to get some feedback from the re-release to patrons Good. over last week like Rob. Hi, Mitch. I've enjoyed your foray into the digital world. 
Except for when, of course, his team plays on Amazon Prime, then the digital world just throws him off. In many ways, the podcast is better than your old radio show. I can't say I miss Joe in Fife. However, the objectionable language Uh at the start of this last show is unbecoming and unnecessary despite your frustrations with the way the Seahawks handled the last possession. Just because you can curse on podcasts, Mitch, doesn't mean you must do so. Four-letter words are lazy, and you're more clever than that, aren't you? Happy Thanksgiving, Philip in Bend, Oregon. I like the reverse psychology on that. you got to be more clever than that, right? I mean, wouldn't you agree, Mitch, that you're much more clever than that? I don't think you throw it around egregiously just to do we it. We hardly, I don't think we ever, hardly ever curse. I agree. I don't think we but curse when that we much. do, And that, I think if we cursed more often, we wouldn't get emails. Right. You see, some people say the fact that you don't curse very often gives good emphasis when you do. We know when you're pissed, Mitch. That's right. When you throw an F-bomb, we know Mitch must be pissed because he doesn't do it regularly. Yeah. But that draws the Phillips and Bend Oregons because they're not used to it. See? Yeah, sure. It's- if we did it on a more continual basis. I'm in. I'm with you. It wouldn't emphasize the point, yeah. but I think people would not then email because it wouldn't be like, whoa, it yes. wouldn't be in their face. It's less impactful if you just do it all the time. But when So you- which do we prefer? Do we want these notes from Philip and Ben? Or do we not want these notes from Philip and Ben? Well, right? we're welcome to take the notes. I mean, whether we <laughs> heed his advice is a different story. Uh, Dear Mitch, episode 263, Language. This one's titled. Another one. I know you might get complaints about language. This isn't that. Your intro to this episode regarding the Seahawks got it spot on. F-bombs are a correct way to describe (laughs) what that bullshit we were watching was happening in the last 30 seconds of the game. Keep up the good work. Love the show. Long-time listener. These are two of a good handful of of emails mostly negative about our decision to use the F word. Yeah, but I feel like you've, well, I and you have both used that before. I wonder yes. what, what it was about this episode. Maybe that, they missed it. Maybe they're not ready for it. I can't, weird. can't help you with that. By the way, all that F-bombing was before the Seahawks game on Thanksgiving. Imagine had we recorded that night. Well, this is what I tried to explain <laughs> to people on Twitter that also kind of lobbied in their opinion. A lot of people were lobbying it on Twitter, whether we should or shouldn't or go to hell. I I sent some of these pictures of these emails out on Twitter. And what I tried to explain on Twitter is we're recording for the most part when they play it Sunday at 125. Mm -hmm. We record the show at about 430 on Sunday and the game is just over. The bodies aren't even cold yet. Yeah, It's still raw for us. It's still very raw as opposed to the old days. When I do the radio show, the game would end on Sunday afternoon at 4.30. I'd have dinner on f- Sunday night. I'd have a night's sleep. I'd get up the next morning. You go in. Now it's 14 hours later, and you're doing a radio show. Completely different story. Now, you bring up the 49ers game. If we were recording this on Thursday <laughs> night right after the 49ers game, right. it would have been impossible <laughs> for me not to throw F-bombs around. Yeah. But, you know, I had some turkey. I had the apple cup. Yeah. I had college football. Little dessert, maybe. Sunday NFL. I've been eating all weekend. Leftovers. <laughs> right. I, I wouldn't say I'm over the 49ers Seahawks game, but I'm over it enough to not need the emphatic F-bombs. Right. And it wasn't like they were a player or two away from winning that game. They just were not going to win that game. So Yeah, that wouldn't have 
that wouldn't have avoided F-bombs they on Thursday have. night. No. <laughs> but the way they played on Thursday night. I mean, no. you and I, at the end of the last episode, when you brought up the, the Seahawks-Niner game, we both kind of said, you know, they're not, there's no way they're winning that. I mean, we, I think people kind of knew what was coming, right? But then right? it happens and you're pissed. Even though it happens anyway, you're still pissed. Yeah, I think so. It's kind of what we expected. I mean, yeah, how but pissed off are people? It's not a good team. Are they making headway? Are they getting better year after year after year, <laughs> week after? Is it the same thing over and over and over again? That's the question. Yeah. That's what's annoying about it. Not that they lost to the 49ers. Okay, well, that's that's fair. Yeah. It's one thing to lose to the 49ers are one of the best team, if not the best team in the NFL. I get that. But they can't play them competitively here on a right. Thursday night. They can't creep up on them a little bit from previous years and playoff games. I don't know. It just doesn't feel like we're go we're stuck. Yeah. Feels like the Seahawks are stuck, but that's for segment one. And I, I will say really that's quick. For segment one. Seahawks fans and Husky fans dodged a bullet, I feel like, for a while there when Harbaugh was coaching the Niners and then Chip Kelly was coaching the Ducks. They both had some pretty damn good teams, right? I mean, yes. those Chip Kelly teams could have easily won a national champion. Same with so Harbaugh. So what bullets did we dodge? Neither of them winning it. The Niners didn't win it with Harbaugh. Okay. But what Chip, does that have to do with us? And Chip Kelly did. My point is, yeah. after dodging those bullets, you might get a twofer this year. I mean, there's a chance... Oregon could win the national championship oh. and a chance the Niners could win the Super Bowl in the same effing calendar year. That would really suck, right? I mean, do you think both those teams could win it? If you said to me, put your hands over records right now, who's the best college football team in America? Put your hands over records right now. Who's the best NFL team in football? I would say the Oregon Ducks and the San Francisco right. 49ers. So there you go. Right. That doesn't mean they're going to win it. It doesn't. It's one game. But they're you know, both going to be in it. Right? I mean, they're both going to be in it, most likely. God, I hope one of them goes down on Friday. But I just don't know. I'm <laughs> scared. This is what's going to happen. This is scary. All week long, we're going to hear about how Oregon's going to win by 30. And by the time Friday comes around, you're like, we're going to zag. You know what? I think the Huskies are going to get I think they're going to win. That's how this is going to go. We're going to rub our hands together. That's right, go, that's Come right. on, let's go. I'll be in San Diego, you know, on Friday. And I thought about making that little 45-minute flight. but Oh, I've, th I've been thinking about it for weeks. Do I need to be there? When Oregon wins by 30, do I need that Are in my they going to win by 30? 25. Not 30. 25. I'm sorry. This coming week is Beat the Boys weekend number 13 presented by Fireside Home Solutions. I owe you three games and a password as we go down the stretch in the, uh, the Beat the Boys competition. This week's three games will be the Lions at the Saints, the Broncos at the Texans, the 49ers at the Eagles, and the password will be our friend, Steve Poole, S-T-E-V-E-P-O-O-L, all lowercase for the password. Good choice. Guests, Mr. College Football Playoffs in segment one again. We'll go over it. Everybody knows that if the Washington Huskies win on Friday, they're going to the Final Four. Everybody thinks, apparently on social media, that there is zero chance that the Washington Huskies could go to the playoff if they lose on Friday. We'll discuss that very notion okay. in segment one with Mr. Playoffs. Rick Neuheisel, here we go again. We've got the rematch. We've got Bama versus Georgia. We've got Texas versus Oklahoma State. We've got Michigan, Iowa. We've got FSU, Louisville. We've got football this coming weekend. That's right. And I'll We've be got in conference championship football. I'll be watching weekend. softball all day on Saturday in San Diego and won't be oh. able to see a fucking minute of any That's of it. Right. You're not on the show next week. Correct. I have to get a replacement. You do, yes. I've been telling you that for weeks now, but yes. Somebody tell the Gras to put his phone, <laughs> plug his phone in. 
<laughs> He's in. Grimes is in. He loves you. I got to be able to get a hold of him. <laughs> that's true. The Seahawks, no table, uh, picking up the pieces from the loss to the San Francisco 49ers and looking ahead to the Dallas Cowboys. And Slickhawk Matt Miklas joins mm. episode Ooh. 264. Mr. Ducky. Mr. Ducky, uh, yes. He joins the big boy table on this episode, 264. And he's not worried at all about Friday. He's going to tell you. I don't know that I would be either if I were him. Honestly, like I love the Huskies. I root for him, but I don't know that I would be either. That looks, I mean, did you watch the games Friday? I assume we yes, know. I sure did. They're both crap. I mean, Texas just roll. There's no chance they're going to look. Oregon just didn't look like they had any chance of losing. And I just thought, well, Huskies, you're just going to have to do it yourself. There will be no help from anyone. Those teams look pretty effing good, don't they? Oregon and Texas. I just, yeah. Well, Oregon does. I just wonder who Texas is playing. Who are these teams that Texas right. is playing? They're playing Oklahoma State this weekend. Yeah. 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 They'll probably win that one going away as well. Anyway, those are the three guest segments. Mr. College Football at segment one, Rick Neuheisel, Seahawks No Table, and Slickhawk, Matt Miklas. Hotshot episode 264 doesn't happen without our friends. Like Zeke's Pizza, football season is pizza season. Specials every football game day at all Zeke's locations. That's Thursdays, Saturdays, Sundays, and Mondays. $10 off of all orders of $40 or more by using the code PIGSKIN10. $10 off your order. Homegrown in the Northwest. John Waterstrat, Fireside Home Solutions. Title sponsor, Beat the Boys. The Week 13 password is Steve Poole. All lowercase S-T-E-V-E-P-O-O-L. A thousand bucks from Fireside Home Solutions to the winner of our competition. And everyone who beats us wins a prize. Check out new fireplaces and garage doors at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. The Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. My family beginning the conversations. Downsizing with our youngest son graduating high school this year. Great to have Jordan Flowers on my team. I'm in good hands. 425-890-2957. He'll answer all of your mortgage questions. Daniel's broiler for the holidays. My family spent Thanksgiving at the downtown location. Our only mistake was rushing home to see the Seahawks Niners game. Can't wait to see the original Daniel's Broiler and Leshy after that big remodel. No better place to celebrate special occasions. Daniel's Broiler, you gotta love them. World-class steakhouses. An evergreen golf call. Tax advisors. Certified financial planners. Experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof. EvergreenGK.com. More than just a financial advisor. Evergreen is Everything Wealth, episode 264, begins right now. Unfiltered. How many times we all like Tariq or Reek Woolen, but how many how many games is he going to have a hands-to-the-face <laughs> penalty 45 <laughs> yards across from the play right. and give them an automatic first down after we stop him on third and 15? Unfiltered. People can watch the same game and have two polar opposite yeah, opinions. It is interesting. I was reading social media into the wee hours of the night last night. People were killing Michael Penix. Yeah. What game were you watching? Right. The guy did not turn it over. He did not throw one interception. He did not fumble the ball that I remember. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 264 is now officially underway. 
with the man who told me months ago, not a few hours after the first time around, I want no part of the rematch. Did you not tell me that? I did, yeah. On the show, off the show, on the air, off the air, on Twitter, off Twitter. I want no part of an Oregon-Washington rematch. You told me that in the minutes after that game was over. And people on Twitter are reminding me that I put that out there and now it's going to come true. But I didn't, yeah. I mean, they barely beat them on a missed field goal at home. I didn't want any part of that shit on a neutral field. Nobody is giving Washington a chance in this game, which is crazy when you think about they're undefeated, oh, and they beat them but, once. Exactly. By the way, they already beat this team. They're like, double-digit <laughs> underdogs. I know. It's crazy. Now, I, I'm no Las Vegas point spread historian. Yeah. And I don't know if there's one that I could find and just call on the phone. I'd like to know if ever in college football history, a team that has gone undefeated including beating the team that they're playing in their next game and then came a double-digit underdog to that very team. How is that? How is it possible that that's ever happened in college football history? Seriously. I, I can't imagine Think how about that, what I just said. Yeah, it's crazy. They already beat them. They beat them and they beat everybody else. And no respect and at all. And they're 10, <laughs> they're, they're, they're almost double-digit, nine-and-a-half, ten-point yeah. underdogs at the time of this recording. It's impossible that that's ever happened in college football history. I'm talking about a team, a major conference team, that went undefeated the entire season, including a win over the team they have to play next. Yeah. And yet they are given zero chance to beat that team the next time around. It's crazy. I know. I know. All they do is win all. You know, your your buddy Fish tried to shit on the Huskies win on Facebook, and I had to oh, shut him down really oh. quick. He said, I, I hope you enjoyed your narrow victory. And I said, yes, I've enjoyed all 12 of the victories, narrow or not. Yeah, he's a Cougar guy. He just hates the Huskies. I think he no, hates. he loves the Cougars. I think he's his son went there, him. and he worked on the sideline yeah, for them. Yeah, he loves the Cougars. But Fishy loves the I don't Cougars. care. that they, they won all 12, narrow or not. They managed Winning all 12 is not easy. Winning every game in the regular, you always lay an egg. But boy, that Apple Cup was a ball buster. Oh my gosh. Fourth and one from your own 29-yard line. Yeah. Now, I want to know how many coaches in America, what percentage of the coaches in America are going for it in a tie game, fourth and one from your own 29-yard line with 111 to go. Essentially, if you miss it, you lose. Right, you're if in- you don't get the first down and you give him the ball there, unless the guy misses a field goal, yeah. you're going to lose the game. He not only goes for it, which is ballsy enough, but then he runs a fake handoff and flip end around to Roma Dunze for the whatever gain, 30-yard gain down the field. Yeah, he said that was Penix's call, actually. Yeah, I so, heard him say that. That's yeah, he, amazing. He said that true. he had a lot of options when you send that play out. He could have done a lot of different things. Yeah. Thank God he chose the right one. It's a read option, and everyone thought oh he's going to keep it or give it to the back and just oh. flipped it. Yeah. And by the way, what you were saying, the, the, the coach makes that call, and with a defense that isn't exactly the 85 Bears that you're going to throw back out there, right? Right. So it's not like, well, we don't get it. At least we have our D. At least we got well, this fat-ass defense. No. Even if you had a fat-ass defense, you're giving it to him at the 29-yard line. The game's yeah. over. You could have the Chicago Bears of 85. Yeah. If the guy can kick a 46-yard field goal, you don't have to gain a yard for a 46-yard, a 47-yard field goal. It's amazing. So it doesn't matter what. You could have the no-name defense from 1972. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I was shocked when they went for it. I thought they could try to draw or do well, something. 
Well, they brought the punt team out first. Yeah. Then they brought him up to try to draw him off sides. Yeah. Then they called a timeout. Then they brought the punt team off. Then they brought the regular team on. It was unbelievable. The whole yeah. thing was unbelievable. They were outplayed. They were outplayed by the Washington State Cougars. Michael Penix was outplayed by Cam Ward. Say what you want about Heisman trophies. I feel like the Heisman should be out the window by now because yeah. he hasn't been Heisman-like the last many weeks. And yet... You feel like, okay, even if he's right now third or fourth or whatever he is right now, he's got a chance on Friday night. Is he not one big game away from winning the Heisman? I don't know. If he goes out on Friday and they beat Oregon and he throws for 450 yards and six touchdowns, can he not win the Heisman on, on Friday night? Or has he already lost it for good? I think Bo Nix sort of sealed it with that five touchdown If he goes half. out and outplays Bo Nix on Friday night? Mm, might be too little And too goes late. 2-0 against Bo Nix? You're telling me they're going to give the Heisman to the guy who went 0-2 in those games? I think so. Really? I think so. I think, you I think, think it's done? I think it's over. I think it's Bo's. Bo's not going to throw for 102 yards Probably and two not. picks. Probably not. Now, that would be one thing if he had a shit game for whatever reason. And Penix was all world. Then maybe that's something different. But, but you know, Bo's going to have his okay. 280 I'll ask, I'll ask two touchdowns. And, I'll ask New Heisman. Okay, as for Mr. Playoffs, I'm going to throw myself out the window. <laughs> okay. Mr. Playoffs is going to throw himself out the window. If you're paying attention to social media. Oh, yeah. I've, I I, have, I've seen you get snippy with a few people on Twitter. <laughs> I know it's not your style. <laughs> if, you're, if you're on social media... And you're reading all of this nonsense. Let me just tell you, don't. Just okay. listen to you. You're not going to get the appropriate and right info unless you're listening to the authentic Mr. Playoffs. So all these people that are on Twitter right now saying the Huskies have to win, the Huskies have to win, the Huskies have yeah. to win. If the Huskies don't win, they can't make the college football playoff. <laughs> that sets you off. I love it. I've seen <laughs> A guy, all right. If the, it's deep very, breaths. It's, it's, deep it's, breaths. It's very simple, Mitch. If the Huskies don't win, they're deep not going breaths. to play. Deep breaths. Yes. <laughs> if the Huskies lose, they are likely not to make the college football playoffs. Right. I get that. You don't have to write me that, oh, if they win, they're going to get in, Mitch. I'll bet you 20 bucks on this. Yeah, I think we got that. I got it, Buster Brown. Thank you. You, you could do that math, yeah. I got that part of it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that if they lose, they will get in. But anybody who writes or says, I'm just telling you, when you read Twitter or you read social media or you read articles or you read the internet, if you see anybody say this week that the Washington Huskies cannot get in with a loss, you're reading bullshit. Okay? okay? It's good to know. If you got emails from me because of that word, go ahead, send your emails. <laughs> I'll read them next week. Right. All right. It's bullshit. I can give you not only a scenario where the Huskies are likely to get in with a loss, I can give you a scenario, Mr. Playoffs, right now, if you want, where the Huskies would be 100% guaranteed in with a loss. Wow. How do you like that? I do like that. Would yes. you like to hear that? Of course. Now, what I'm about to tell you is not likely to happen. In fact, it's very unlikely. I'm just trying to prove you a point. Right. Anybody who says... It's mathematically impossible for the Huskies to get in yep. if they lose to Oregon. Anybody who writes that and says that, it's bullshit. Ignore it. Listen to Mr. Playoffs. Okay? They're wrong, yes. Are you ready? I'm ready. If Washington loses to Oregon on Friday night in a great game, a thriller just like the one a couple of months ago and just like the one last year against Bo Nix. Okay. If Washington and Oregon play another thriller 
and they lose close, like Oregon lost close the last two, and the following things happen. Florida State loses to Louisville. Georgia beats Alabama. Iowa beats Michigan. Unlikely, Iowa beats Michigan. Texas loses in the Big 12 title game to Oklahoma State. If those things happen, Mm -hmm. what I just said, Washington is a 100%, (laughs) not 96, not 93, not 88. In that scenario that I just gave you, Washington is 100% in the college football playoffs. Again, am I saying that that's going to happen? Right. No. Right. I'm just telling you, if you read Washington's out with a loss no matter what, you're reading bullshit. It's not true. In the scenario I just gave you, Georgia's in. Oregon's in. Mm -hmm. Florida State's out. Texas has two losses. They're out. Alabama's got two losses. They're out. Michigan's got one loss to Iowa. Washington's got one close call loss to Oregon, the best team in the country, or one of the best teams in the country, and they also have a win over Oregon. Right. Okay. In that scenario, Washington may be number three. I can't guarantee you that. Yep. Michigan might be number three. Michigan would probably be the fourth team, even with a loss to Iowa. But those would be the four teams in that scenario. Georgia, Oregon, Washington, and Michigan would be the four teams. And that's that's 100%. That's not like opinion. Right. That's 100%. There is no way the committee would not put Washington in in that scenario. In that scenario, though, imagine it's – so you said Oregon would be two. Let's say Huskies are three. I think Georgia and Oregon would be one and two. Okay. So Georgia would be one. Oregon would be two because Oregon would still have the one loss to Washington. And then it would be Michigan. It would either be Washington, Michigan, or Michigan, Washington. So Oregon and Washington in the first round. Could happen. Imagine a could happen. round F and three. Round here F we and three. go. Yes, that would be amazing. And maybe the committee would want that, and right. maybe the committee would want would not want. I that. think they would want. Who wouldn't want that? Round three, they they split the season. Here we go. And two thrillers. Yes. Remember, this is all. This is a part of the 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 scenario is that Washington loses close. Now, if Washington gets blown out, I can't speak to that. Right. I don't think that there's very much chance at all at that point. But again. Washington wins and they're in. You don't have to explain that to me. I, I can figure that part out. Yeah. I got that. I love it. Uh, Washington loses close in a thrilling game. There are scenarios where Washington gets in. Unlikely scenarios, yes. But there are scenarios where Washington gets in. So I don't have to watch. You got to watch. Damn it. Does anybody ever watch the Pac-12 championship game? Is this not going to have double the ratings of whatever the next best Pac-12 championship game was of all time. I don't know how many years they're doing the Pac-12 championship game. Washington versus like an eight and three Colorado was like, eh. or they play Utah. I think maybe one of these games used to be in um, Santa Clara, California. Then they moved it to Vegas. And this This, game, people are going to be watching this game. The whole world's going to be watching. It's playoff implications all up at Heisman implications. It's going to be so fun. Yeah, people will be and watching. And the game sets up to be 45, 42, 42, 39. They're never low-scoring games. Yeah. They're always exciting. Yeah, I can't wait for the uh, 7 o'clock team dinner on Friday. What's the 7 o'clock team dinner on Friday? Well, I said I'll be in San Diego with my daughter's softball team, and yeah. there's already a team dinner scheduled that night that I have to attend. So I look forward to that. 
Yes. So you can't watch the game? I'm going to figure something out. Don't you worry. I will oh be watching the game. God. But yes, I'll be taking my daughter to a team dinner at 7 on Friday. What time is the game? 5 o'clock? I would imagine it's 5, 5.20, yeah. something like that. Oh. Eastern Eastern time, 8, 8.20, something like that. Yeah. God, it's going to be so yeah. fun. Yeah. And then there are the Seattle Seahawks. Oh, they're still playing. Six and five Thursday night against the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas. How is that team over 500 still, considering what I just watched? How is that? I thought you were going to say the Seahawks are three and six. I'm just like, how are they still over 500? It just seems like it's the same every single year. It doesn't matter who they draft, it doesn't matter who they sign in free agency. <sighs> It doesn't matter who they trade for. Who their quarterback is. It doesn't matter who. They're, they're always just like mediocre, yeah. trying to get into the playoffs as a wild card team. Right. Mr. Playoffs is always very busy because we're doing conference record and common opponents and strength of victory. The coach is bulletproof. It seems like the general manager is bulletproof. The quarterback, of course, gets publicly run over by everybody, yeah. by every Seahawks fan. But it's funny, maybe you can explain this to me, how the quarterback gets run over by everybody, but the guys that are in charge that gave him the keys to the car. <laughs> yeah. You know those guys? The guys who brought Drew Locke in in the trade of Russell Wilson and then didn't even give Drew Locke a chance to win the job and gave it to Geno? Yeah. The guys who haven't drafted a quarterback in years in the draft, not one. The guys who didn't bring any free agent quarterbacks in, the guys who gave the new contract to Geno Smith and gave him the start, the guys who've been telling us in press conferences since the offseason that we've got a, a vastly improved team and we're very confident this is the team. It's funny, the quarterback gets thrown under the bus, Yeah, but those guys, free and clear. That's right. How do you figure that? Still trading off the Super Bowl run they had. Yeah. Did, you, did Geno name himself the quarterback? I mean, did, <laughs> did he like... Tell everybody I'm going out there right now like they do in pickup games. No, I'm 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 quarterback. Yeah, yeah. Let, let I'm the quarterback. Know. Yep. Or did somebody have to like name <sighs> him the starting quarterback? I think it's the I think it's the latter. I think if if you look at the ledger of good and bad with those two, it's clearly been more good than bad with those two. So I, I think there's a and how long does that last? Well, it how seems long? like it's still going. I don't know. You tell me. I did Are, a good radio show in nineteen ninety six. You did. I don't seem to be getting any credit for that now. <laughs> That's true. There was a midday show. No, you are not. There, there's a, <laughs> there was a midday show in November of 1995 that I remember being proud of. Oh, I remember that one. Well, I was, maybe I was on vacation at that point. How long do we go? For the record, just just for the record, I don't even throw the quarterback under the bus. I don't think the I don't think the quarterback is the biggest problem on the offense. I think it's the scheme. I think it's the play calling. I think it's so bad. There's no imagination. There's no innovation. Yeah, but when they, they don't in use the middle of the field, people keep saying Geno Smith is terrible, man. Yeah. He's terrible. He's a backup quarterback. Let me ask you a question. I want a serious, honest answer. Okay. If Geno Smith were the quarterback of the 49ers and he was running that offense and Kyle Shanahan was putting that offense together and he was asked to do what Brock Purdy is asked to do, mm -hmm. would the 49ers be good offensively? I think they would. They'd be great offensively. Yeah. Let me ask you a second question. If Brock Purdy, who is the leading quarterback in the NFL, he's going to be a first-team All-Pro. Right. He's statistically the best quarterback in the NFL. Last pick in the draft, Brock yeah. Purdy. If he were in this offense, the same Brock Purdy with Shane Waldron, 
and these receivers and this offensive line running the same plays that Shane Waldron calls in, the deep crosses and the deep downfield pass and not using the middle of the field and no innovation, no no sleight of hand, nothing. That same scheme. Would Brock Purdy be the top-ranked quarterback in the National Football League? Something tells me he wouldn't, no. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, when you watch Brock Purdy, is he better than Geno Smith? Does he have? Is he taller? Is he more athletic? Does he have better arm strength? Yeah. Does he have better? I guess he has better decision making. Well, San Francisco puts him in a lot better situations. To me, this is not about the quarterback. This is about the system. This is about the plays. They don't even know how to run a freaking screen pass. Have you ever noticed that? And don't give me. Have and I, I noticed that I sit here every Sunday and got to hear about Bra- it. Brady Henderson tells me about the. I'm not talking about the wide receiver. You throw it out to the the new age screen pass. No, I'm talking about a traditional, yeah. old fashioned. Let the defensive lineman in. Yep. Toss the ball over their heads. Running back gets it. Offensive lines out in front of them. Everybody in college and high school. Everybody can run a screen pass. Yeah. The Seattle Seahawks cannot run. They have not been able to run a screen pass in 10 years. It is weird that they don't run that ever. No, they do. I mean, they just they can't. try. Yeah. They, on Thursday night in a big moment, <sighs> they had they had all the momentum. They had scored 10 unanswered points. They had the ball again, and they tried a little screen pass to the running back, and the defensive lineman wasn't fooled, and he just knocked him down five yards for a loss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. I know. It's terrible. This is not about Geno Smith. That's, yeah. that's what people don't get. Some people do. Some people don't. Feels like Geno's never just gotten a fair shake, no matter what. Even though he had that incredible year last year, statistically, just people are ready to move on from, eh, when are we moving on from Geno? I am here to guarantee you that if Brock Purdy were trying to run the Seahawks offense as is, he would be a shit sandwich. Yeah. There was a 19-year-old who was at Thanksgiving with us. We're watching the game. He said, how, how much would you give up to get Brock Purdy on the Seahawks? I, I remember thinking... I don't know that I'm mortgaging the future for Brock Purdy. I, that was my first thought. I was like, no. He's been great. You got to give him credit. He's been unbelievably he good. He has been, but is he that Doesn't guy? It, he's that guy in their offense. In their offense, yeah. I don't know. I just, I'm not feeling that he's this game-changing quarterback that could go to any team and throw numbers he's up. He's probably going to be a Super Bowl-winning quarterback, if not this yeah. year soon. Yeah. But I contend I it's not necessarily about him. It's about the guys that are surrounding him and the guys that are developing the system. What was the the word on Waldron when he came in? Do you remember what everyone kept saying? There was no word on Waldron. I thought it was like, oh, he's creative. Oh, he's innovative. No, you got to no, see no. this. No. Oh, he'll have wet, people guess. Wet behind the ears. No, no. Jeez. Came from the Rams where Sean McVay is really the coordinator. Yeah. Not really the play caller. Kind of a cheap imitation. Nothing innovative. We all gave, we, we all gave him a chance, but come on. It's, it's not working. In fact, Pete Carroll does not know how to hire a coordinator. Think about the coordinators that he hires. Yeah. The Ken Nortons and the Brian Schottenheimers and all these guys. It's almost he just hires guys he, he, he likes. Yeah, he, he just goes through them. None of them <laughs> are any friends. good. None of them <laughs> yeah. are any good. Yeah. Anyway, three guests and then the other stuff segment. Here we are again with Fireside Home Solutions owner, John Waterstrat. How are you, John? Doing great, Mitch. Thank you very much for having me on again. It's nice to have you back. Football season in full swing. That means a few things, like it's time to evaluate your old fireplaces, chilly temperatures around the corner. Question. 
How do I know if I need a new one? Is it appearance, functionality, or both, John? It's probably a little bit of both. We always talk to people about, hey, how long have you had this fireplace? You know, what's your usage on that? Just taking a look at it. If it just doesn't look like it's doing what you want it to do, call us up. We can have one of our service technicians come out and do mm-hmm. a quick evaluation, give you some recommendations. And if that fireplace is and it just needs to be refreshed, we'll do that for you too. If it needs to be replaced, they'll hook you in with one of our sales staff and we'll get that taken care of for you. Is it a little more complicated if I want to incorporate a fireplace into an area of my home that's never had one? To be honest, yes, I think it's a little harder, but it's not a full remodel. You have to kind of decide on what you want. If you don't have a fireplace and you want to do something freestanding, have that done in a day. If you want something framed up, be there and kind of be part of your room. We can help you with that. We have contractors that can help you with that. We can look at the fireplaces and see what you would want. And then we can hook you in with the contractors that do the tile and other things that are available. So I know you want us to come out to one of your showrooms. I'd like to know about the reaction to that newly remodeled Bellevue location, John. Yeah, it's been great. It's been uh, inspiring for all of us. Uh, I love people to walk in and see that first fireplace we have in there. It's a fireplace that has glass on all four sides. It's almost like a floating fireplace. Wow. You'd be wowed by it. But uh, yeah, just come on in and be inspired and you yeah. could be a kid in a candy store. <laughs> John Waterstrat, Fireside Home Solutions, just a terrific part partner of Mitch Unfiltered and the presenting partner of our fourth annual Beat the Boys competition this football season. Where would we be without John and FiresideHomeSolutions.com? Unfiltered. as he scores a touchdown. It's that time of the week, ladies and gentlemen. Richard Gerald Neuheisel Jr., the man who has now hit five picks in a row and has gone from two under 500 to three over 500. We'll get to that later. It's presented by Taco Time Northwest. The corn chowder is back. My absolute favorite, the corn chowder for a limited time at all Taco Time Northwest locations, the return of of the corn chowder. How are we, Mr. Neuheisel? I'm wonderful. I can't believe we're at the end of yet another college football season. They always go so fast, so Mitch. Fast. So I'll give you some headlines. You can start with one of those or pick one of your own if you'd like. Fair enough. Incredible Iron Bowl ending we have to discuss. <laughs> it's incredible. Michigan takes care of Ohio State. Washington scuffles its way to an Apple Cup victory. Texas A&M has a new coach, it appears. It's the Duke coach. Jonathan Smith is heading to Michigan State from Oregon State. A great run at Oregon State. Pick one of those five or one of your own, New Heisel. What do you like? I'm going to start with the uh, Iron Bowl, only because I have been uh, fortunate enough in the last nine years to work for CBS to have brought that game, although I'm in the studio in New York City. To, I'm I'm feeling like I'm literally on the field as these games go. And the ones in particular at Jordan Hare are off the charts, 
are off the charts. The spooky things that happen that can never happen Mm -hmm. and yet continually do Mm -hmm. there amidst the hedges at Jordan Hare. And I just, it's head scratching. I mean, the last time they played there, it was four overtimes, Mitch, as Bryce Young brought Alabama 97 yards to tie the game with seconds left in the game. I remember the one before that, it was Gus Malzahn who sent uh, the quarterback back as a punter and, and Nick Saban tried to run people on and got called for 12 on the field. And, you know, Gus Malzahn looked like the cat who ate the canaries. He giggles because he's won the game, the game that, you know, would ultimately save his job, which we now know it didn't. Right. But at the day's end, <laughs> these games and, and we celebrated the 10 year oh. anniversary of the kick six. Yeah. The kick six. Yeah. Uh, and it has just been so fun to watch all this. And as they got ready to snap the ball on fourth and goal at the 31, I looked to my pal, Adam Zucker, and I said, they're going to score here. They're going to score here. And honest to God, if okay. it happened. Okay. I got to let, 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 let's stop because I got to get your coach's analysis here. I want to go. I want to st- stop you because okay. I was okay. getting to the coach's okay. analysis okay. 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 because the story gets better. Okay. I'm buddies with Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze is texting me at one in the morning last night and we're going through the play (laughs) as to what do you think? What do I think he could do better? I said, the only thing that you did that couldn't happen was you lost sight of the ball. The vision of the kid, DJ James, who was the corner who transferred from Oregon to Auburn. Yeah. He was the one that got twisted around and his back was to Jalen Milrow, and he never saw that ball coming in, and Isaiah Bond ends, ends up making the play. You have to always have vision. I have, have to always have vision. I've got that, but I've got other questions. Let's go. And this is a as look, did Hugh. Look, look, as did Hugh. <laughs> well, apparently, he does. <laughs> and these are questions that guys like you have asked yourself for years. I'm sure you've been in that very, very same, if not similar, situation. And that is, how many do I rush? And how many do I draw? I mean, it's the age-old question. Now, here's what they decided to do. They rushed two guys, and a third guy just stood there, essentially, and spied the, spy. the quarterback. So he the just spy, stood there. Yes. Now, I you don't need the spy. You don't need the spy. You don't no. need the spy from that, that far. He's not going to run 30 yards for the touchdown, is he? So I'm, we, either, I'm either rushing the spy or agree. I'm dropping the spy. We agree. The spy, you actually want Jalen Milrow to run. Sure. You want him to go over the line of scrimmage like he did and then we the all play previous. Him. You want him because now you've got 11 that can stop him from getting to his desired uh, end zone 31 yards away. You right. can make that play. So you you don't need the spy. I don't we had that spy. conversation. We don't right. need the spy. I also said you don't want to take, if you're only going to rush two, and I had no problem with the two-man rush, you don't want to take them from both sides. It's too easy to double-team both. Bring them both from one side and flush him and make him think that there's open grass that he can run. So you bring those guys from the other side. But it's such a bizarre play because you never, ever really think about defensively when it's a goal-to-go situation. Right. From 31 yards away. Yeah. You're thinking about a guy taking off running, but running would be the best thing possible for the defense here. And as a fan, as a spectator, who, of course, is rooting for Auburn, the whole world's rooting for Auburn, except for Alabama fans. Anybody who's got any skin in the game is rooting for for Auburn in that situation. It's hard. Mathematically, you see them rushing two. 
So you're giving the guy all day to throw as long as he really wants to throw. It's yeah, why hard. don't you just it's, drop 11? Right. It's hard for me to get my arms around the fact that then you're rushing to the guy throws the ball. And the first thing I see in my TV screen is man to man is one on one coverage. I would think I'd have enough guys back there if I'm only rushing two to have two defenders in the picture. It was more of a Hail Mary defense without Hail Mary trajectory. So what happens, it was five verticals. So you had two seams that those both got doubled. The guy who went down the middle ended up holding them free safety. He got doubled. But the outside guys were one-on-one. And because DJ James got turned around and it was a low trajectory throw with mustard on it and beautifully thrown. How often do we see those balls land out of bounds, either too far or too wide? That ball is right into the corner of the end zone. And once again, we have the absolute spooky ending at Jordan Hare. Quickly, are they going to beat Georgia? No. Oh, they'll give Georgia all they want. Are they going to beat Georgia? I am taking Alabama. Oh, God. I go to the That's Church bad. of Saban. That's I bad. go to the I go to the Church That's of Saban. I don't want <laughs> I don't want any part of Alabama going to the SEC championship game. All right, I got so much for you that if we take a lot of time on each topic, we'll be here. You'll miss your flight back to New York from Atlanta. <laughs> so I, I want some quick thoughts. Okay, let me get a couple things just out of the way. I feel like we have to touch on them, but I don't want to spend too much time on them. The Texas A&M new coach from Duke. Give me a thought. It's a a great choice. They know him. The only question I had, and I think they kind of had, did they see enough head coach, you know, command presence in him while he was there as the, uh, as the coordinator. There's no question their defense played well. There's no question that he fit and he knows the culture. So it'll be no surprise. He won't get there and say, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. He's all in. Uh, and he was brilliant as a, as the head coach at Duke this last year. So it, I think it's a, it's a perfect fit. And he's an understated guy. So it's going to go well. Would they rather him than Kalen DeBoer? Or did Kalen DeBoer send signals he wasn't interested? One or the other. And, and I'm sure there's been a conversation with Kalen DeBoer and the, and the brass at Washington about long-terming is. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we have big plans for you. That kind of thing. And I think Kalen DeBoer is also the kind of guy that would also say, I need you to take care of my assistants. Now, obviously, Ryan Grubb is being well taken care of, but I think there was some uh, maneuvering. And I I know nothing on this. I'm just saying okay. these are opportunities to, okay. to do things for the guys who work so hard for you. And for our audience, we are coming around to the Apple Cup. We are coming around to Washington. We are. Co- I'm bearing the lead. I am. I'm, I'm purposely trying to get other things off the table before I clear the slate and we talk about Washington. Jonathan Smith. Rick, I would say that most college observers, I don't know a third, I don't know a hundredth of what you know about college football, but I know enough to be able to say there's not many guys that has done that have done as much with as little as Jonathan Smith has done at Oregon State. But does that necessarily mean he's a home run at Michigan State? In the Big Ten. No, it doesn't mean that. And one of the things that's going to be interesting is how he goes about recruiting at Michigan State. One of the things he did at uh, Oregon State was really build a very solid Polynesian community on that team. A ton of Polynesian kids that all felt very comfortable, that all felt, you know, they were with a lot of kids that they recognized mm-hmm. and uh, understood. That will not be easy to do in East Lansing. So how quickly he can assemble, you know, a a 
formidable front on both sides of the ball uh, is going to be the key. That's how he built his deal. I mean, the truth of the matter is Jonathan Smith as a coach is one game under 500. I mean, oh. those are the facts. Oh. He's one game under 500. I don't know that He's I had that. two successful years. He went 10 last year with the big victory over Florida, okay. uh, a five and or six and seven team in the bowl game. And then this year uh, where he's eight and four and, and listen, taking nothing away. He's a name. He built a program. He's what they want. He's stable off the field. Let's pull for him. I think this also is a home run for Oregon state because even though they had to say they wanted to keep him, they can't afford it. They had ponied up over $5 million a year. They have a very questionable future financially. Sure. This helps them go get somebody that they can't afford. The aforementioned Kalen DeBoer. Now we can say a lot about him. And I know that New Heisel in his own right back in the day was a riverboat gambler. But we had, we had here on Saturday night, we had fourth and one from the 20, his own 29 yard line <laughs> with, a, with a minute to go. Now, 99 out of 100 of you guys punt the ball away and let's go to OT, stop him. We'll go to OT and win an OT. He has the whole season on the line. He's going for it from his own 29. And, and Penix, I guess he sends in a play, according to him, after the game. I send in a play that gives Penix options. Penix can do what he sees the defense. It's his call once I send the play, and he can do right. one of two or three things. And, and Penix and DeBoer combine an end around coming around Roma Dunze for 25-30, and they pull out the essentially win the game on that call and that play. How about that? How about those brass balls, Ricky? How about those that, are, Ricky? Those, those are shined, <laughs> shined brass. That's uh, yeah. That's uh, that was that was awesome. When you have the play, when you want, when you have a play that you know in your heart is that gold, then I'm all for it. And he wanted to win it. He didn't want it to go to overtime. He didn't want no. the spookiness of overtime. And right. Cam Ward had proved worthy and valiant. And uh, look, I get it. And fourth and one, he's going to get a big hit. You're going to be at two two passes from your field goal. If you have the play, if you're running inside zone right there, punt the damn ball, right? Punt the damn ball. If you're if you got something that you know you you're, you're going to get this thing done, and if it goes down in flames, you're still going to Las Vegas, and you, and you already can know what you're going to say to the press. Look, I'm taking my swings. I'm going down swinging. Mm -hmm. uh, but ultimately, it was it was very shiny brass. You know what? Yeah. Anybody who sat around a couple of months ago and watched the first time around between Oregon and Washington, four hours later, some questionable coaching decisions later by Dan Lanning. Right. We had a masterpiece and we all said, we want one, one more time. Come on, one more time in a couple of months in Las Vegas. You and I have talked about it incessantly over the last many weeks. And look what we have here, Coach We've got the rematch in Vegas on Friday night. And we have, as is indicated by the uh, those in Las Vegas who seem to know a lot about this, a trending Oregon team that's hotter than Texas Chile, right? They are they are really, really hot. Uh, Bo Nix is vaulting up the Heisman lists, and uh, he's the one right now really seemingly the only one that can do battle with Jaden Daniels, the youngster at LSU. Mm -hmm. With that being said, though, I look back at these last two matchups, the one in Eugene two year, uh, a year ago and the one that was in uh, Husky Stadium. 
And in both of them, I like the way Washington receivers match up against this Oregon secondary. Penix looks to have time. Uh, they'll be, you know, Lanning's a defensive guy. There'll be some new twists and things of that nature. But they've also kind of discovered Dylan Johnson and what he's capable of doing. I think this is going to be the last possession type of game, first wow. to 40 wins. Wow. And and uh, that's why I still Again. think that the winning quarterback's the Heisman Trophy winner. Really? And I believe that really? uh, somebody's going to be magic um, really? with 30 seconds to go. Yeah. And we're all going to be treated me, to uh, a show of shows in Las Vegas. Let me underscore a couple of your points. Number one, first of all, on Dylan Johnson, let's hope he's healthy. He was not healthy on Saturday night. He was hobbling around, probably shouldn't have even been playing on, on Saturday in the Apple Cup, it's a short work week. Let's see if he's healthy. He's a big he's a big key to the game. On your receiver point, let me also mention Jalen McMillan is back. He didn't play, right. he did not play in the first game against Oregon or played one play and then right. went out. He's not only back, but he looked almost like his old self in the Apple Cup. So that's a big lift. And to your Heisman point, I'm interested. You beat me to the punch. Of course, you always do, but. <laughs> There's a lot of people who think Penix has just been too average the last four or five weeks, that he's played his way out of the Heisman, that it's either Bo Nix or it's the kid from LSU. And I keep saying to myself, but what if he throws for four bills and six Bingo. touchdowns on Friday night? Bingo. And, 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 and if you think about what it's going to take to beat this hot Oregon team, it's going to be 400 yards and five touchdown passes and maybe run one for yourself. Yeah. And that's completely within the realm of possibility for him and a perfectly dry, you know, wind, not even existent type of environment with this kind of gifted receiver core. And if Dylan Johnson isn't available, they're going, he's going to throw 45 times. It is going to be something for the ages. That's why he's well in striking range. Listen, he, is he outside looking in? Yes. But has the door got a crack? Yes. And what do we love as American Heisman voters? That guy who comes through that crack door like mm. Flutie, right? On that Thanksgiving weekend. <laughs> In my and all area. of a sudden, just oh, give it to him. Oh, gosh. All right. I'm going to ask you a question. And I'm going to warn attorney Rick Neuheisel to be very careful. Just, just be <laughs> careful where you step for the next few minutes, okay? I already know where this one's going. Okay, just be careful where you set, because I'm going to set you up a little bit. I, I shouldn't tell you that I'm setting you up, but I'm going to set you up a little bit. Let's assume Friday night happens as you see it. Last possession, great game, first to 40, last team with the ball wins. It's another instant classic, just like the last couple between Penix and Knicks. And okay. Oregon wins. Okay. So now Washington has won every game on its schedule except for one, and it's the rematch with a team they've already beaten. Okay? That's right. So right. my first question, this is, a, this is a little sampler. Be careful where you step. Who is higher in the committee's eyes? I'm going to give you two teams in that scenario. Washington or Ohio State? Hmm. Uh... I think based on the game that you just described, Tove to Tove, Frazier Ali, uh, Washington. I not only agree, but I, I agree more wholeheartedly than I think I'm more forceful in my opinion of that. Yeah. Ohio State has has not made their conference tournament championship game. Washington in this scenario 
has lost one game and they beat the team that they lost to earlier in the year. I think yeah. there's a lot of reasons why Washington should be higher than Ohio State in that. If scenario. you if you put the Big Ten in the same format as the Pac-12, meaning there are no divisions, of course Ohio State course, would have been there. Of course, of course. So I don't think that's as much of a, a reason. But okay. but the uh, the excitement that Washington would have gained with this game, rather than the kind of almost nervous approach that. Ohio State seemed to play with in this last game. Right. Okay. I, I would. Okay. I'm, I'm leaning Washington. Okay. Good. But it's a lean, good. not a yeah, not but, an overwhelm. But the lean is good enough for Mitch because okay. now you you've done as you stepped in the dog poo. You stepped <laughs> in the in the stuff that I wanted you to step into because okay. anybody who tells me that there is no way Washington can get in the Final Four with a loss on Friday. Anybody who tells me that there's no imaginable way is out to lunch, completely out to lunch, especially if they view Ohio State the way you just leaned. And it was a beautiful lean, the blonde hair lean. It was great. It was a great lean. Okay. You're saying you need a Georgia, you need a Georgia victory. I got my bill. You you, You need a Louisville victory and you need a Oklahoma State victory. And you're saying you're going to make it. And I'll just throw in an Iowa victory. <laughs> if an Iowa victory, let's not get out of our No, 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 no. I, Again. Have you seen okay. Iowa yeah, play? Yes, I have. <laughs> again, I want to, I want to, I want to make sure I'm clear. I'm, I'm telling you there is a way. Oh, there's a way. There yes. is a way yes. for Washington. And I think there's a couple of ways that Washington, but they'd have to play the game that you're talking about on Friday night. That's It'd correct. have to be an unbelievable display of college football Last where, one you're, with the ball. where you're heartbroken for the loser. You walk away from the TV and you're the guy in Omaha, Nebraska with no skin in the game. You don't care. You're just a college football fan who says to himself, God, it's a shame that anybody had to lose that game. Fair enough. That, I agree. I, I think yep. at that point, if the right combinations happen now, here's what's interesting getting away from that scenario that you're going to also agree with me. I think, Texas and Alabama are very interesting because Sarkeesian's got to be saying, go Alabama, go Alabama, because (laughs) they they can't put you in without putting (laughs) us in if we beat Oklahoma State, right? Exactly right. Can't do it. They have done this every (laughs) week along. You've seen that seven and eight hole between Texas and Alabama. There is no room for Alabama to go. Texas is right there. Right. And now if we can move them up, right. Texas is going to stay oh, above Alabama what with a, a victory what a over the Cowboys. What a beautiful weekend. So I ask you the questions. You just told me you'd like you're leaning a slight lean to Alabama over Georgia. These aren't point spreads. These aren't your picks. I just want to know how you feel. Do you feel Florida State after they survive the swamp in Gainesville will beat Louisville now or not beat Louisville now? <laughs> I actually like Louisville in this game. I think they'll be angry about the way Kentucky. that they performed late in the game against Kentucky when they did that same feeling after losing to a pit team earlier in the year they came back and atoned. I think Plummer will be really coached hard this week and probably will be cleaner than he was and I thought Florida had ample chances to to win that game yesterday uh with Rodemaker. So there's a there's a subtraction of offense without Jordan Travis. He he adds an element with his legs that's not there with Rodemaker. I think that uh, gives the Cardinals ample opportunity to win this game. Okay, 
And that leaves, I know how you feel about Iowa, Michigan. We don't have to belabor that point. Do you feel the same way about Oklahoma State that you feel about Iowa? You know, this Ollie Gordon kid has been phenomenal. But I really thought I saw Texas take another step defensively. Their defense the other night absolutely crushed Texas Tech. They Texas Tech has a nice running back, and he had his moments. Ollie Gordon might have to carry it 40 times, and it's going to take Texas helping Oklahoma State to get it done. It's not unfathomable, but the likelihood is Texas is going to get through. Which brings us to who was doing some work presented by Taco Time Northwest. Now, we had a lot of college football over the weekend, and Taco Time Northwest, who's always looking to add to its team with tremendous compensation packages and perks at tacotimenw.com, they applaud people who like to do some work, who like to get their, their hands dirty. And it's at this time of the show every week where I say, New Heisel, you want to kick or you want to receive? I'm going to uh, take the ball. Take the ball. I'm going to go with Ollie Gordon, the aforementioned running back at uh, Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. 34 carries, 166 yards, five touchdowns, Mitch. They were down 19 and came roaring back. And uh, just a phenomenal effort in a game you had to win to get to your Big 12 championship game uh, to play Texas as they get ready to depart. Otherwise, it would have been Oklahoma and Texas, and that would have been the worst possible scenario for Commissioner Brett Yormark. So Ollie Gordon saved all that by just putting the uh, Cowboys on his back. Doing some work, some taco time work. So some corn chowder for Ollie is what you're saying. Yes, Count corn. Absolutely. I'm sending my corn chowder to a guy you've never heard of. You love doing this. I, I am <laughs> sending my corn chowder. I have found a guy that I believe Rick Neuheisel in his uh, ultimate wisdom of college football has never heard of. The man's name is Will Benton. Do you know the name Will Benton? I don't. Would you like to know who Will Benton is? Of course I would. If he's going to get corn chowder, we should at least know who he is. He is the long snapper of the Southern Methodist University Mustangs. Now, why in the world would Mitch send some great corn chowder that he could have his own? Why would he send his own corn chowder to Will Benton? Let me tell you what Will Benton did in SMU's win over Navy. He snapped the ball on the punt from like the 30 or 25-yard line, his own 30-yard line. The punter punted the ball. The return man botched the kick, and the ball goes scooting into the end zone. Who picked it up? Who went I'll from, bet it's Will Benton. <laughs> he, when was the last time a long snapper scored a touchdown, not just a recovered fumble, a touchdown 70 yards away, picked the ball up in the end zone for a touchdown, the long snapper, and we make fun of long snappers. We make Only fun of a man motivated by the great taste of Taco Time's corn chowder <laughs> could do such a thing. <laughs> oh, I'm sending him a batch of corn Atta chowder. Boy. Way to Atta go, boy. Will Benton, Taco Time Northwest. Now, I said it. I said SMU's it SMU's got a big game this week. Oh, they do. I don't know. Oh, they've got Tulane. They okay. play for the American Conference and possibly, pending what happens with Liberty, possibly a chance to play in the Cotton Bowl. How about SMU in the Cotton Bowl? You think sure. that'd uh, sure. get their alums a little bit uh, lathered up? I think of number 19. That's a, When you say SMU in the Cotton Bowl, I think of a running back on the Pony Express that wore number 19. What a weird number back in the day for a running back. Eric? So, Dickerson. Eric Dickerson, who had a partner named Craig James in the Pony Pony Express, right? Okay. That's right. All right. Rick's picks. We know him. We love him. 
I made fun of you. You were two games under 500 five weeks ago, and you said, oh, Mitch, two games, schmoo games, under 500. All you did was go on a five-game streak against the spread. You are now three games over 500 heading into conference championship weekend. You've got the pick of the litter. There are a lot of interesting games. You and I went through them before we started to record. We've got... We've got Washington getting nine and a half, believe it or not, as an undefeated team. We've got Texas giving 14 to Oklahoma State. Georgia giving five to Alabama. We've got Michigan giving 23 to Iowa and Florida State handing Louisville three and a half. Will it be one of those or one of your own? Where are you headed, New Heisel? We're going to Las Vegas. We're going to Sin City. Listen, the dogs may look weary. The dogs look you know, beaten, battered, but they have withstood every test hurled their way. And yeah, those shiny ducks will have some shiny new uniform, <laughs> some chrome outfit that looks like they're from the badlands of some, you know, you know, Mad Max movie, something yeah. like that. Yeah. There'll be, there's no question that that will be the case. Oh, you're but I up. stick by you're, my guns that this will go up. to the last, the last possession. Penix and Nick's back battling back and forth and somebody wearing a purple jersey is going to make a play at game's end that we're all going to be talking about till we're gray and sitting down drinking lemonade give me the dogs i'll take the nine and a half but give me the dogs you know I have to ask the follow-up question that I always ask when you pick the dogs. Are you doing this only because if you're, of the show and the pennant sitting behind your shoulder? Uh, no, are you, I am doing if, this. If your buddy Mitch Levy, if your buddy Mitch Levy and you met at Omaha Country Club in Omaha, <laughs> Nebraska many years ago, and I was sitting in Omaha as just a college football fan with no connection to the Northwest Audience has no connection to the Northwest. Are you telling me with this crop of games, you be picking the Huskies plus the nine and a half? Again, I am saying this based on what I know about the health of these teams. Washington matches up beautifully with Oregon. Oregon would love to play someone else. The ability for the three receiver side and the inside two receivers all the combinations that Ryan Grubb and Kalen DeBoer have with those two guys make life miserable for Oregon over the top miserable we're going to have a scorched earth game enjoy it <laughs> I'll enjoy it but not quite as much as I'll enjoy my next conversation because if he's right Boy, we're all going to be in a good mood. And if he's wrong, that's going to be fun, too. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, sir. Enjoy the championship rounds, my friend. College football always delivers. She's back. Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning, Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. I understand... There's a special anniversary or birthday over there in Bellevue. Yes. Uh, Evergreen is celebrating our 40th anniversary this nice. year. Nice. Very, very nice. So that means the new Make Mitch Look Foolish quiz is a 40th anniversary special this week. That's right. Okay. I'm ready. Go ahead. So it's been an interesting year in the market. Overall, 
the S&P 500 is up about 11% for the year. Last time when we spoke in July, it was up about 19%. So there's been some volatility over that time. But I'm gonna see how much you've been paying attention. Okay. First question, what is the return on value stocks for 2023? So value stocks are blue chip companies that traded attractive valuations, often pay dividends, things like financials, Costco, companies like that. Value stocks, are they up 7%, 2%, or down 1%? I would think that they're up because overall the market is up, but I'll just say 2%. How about that? Unfortunately, they're down 1%. Oh, really? It's quite the diversion where what we're going to look at in question number two, yeah. we're going to turn to our focus on what's the return on growth stocks. Right, right. These are companies like Tesla, Meta, Google, some of the big tech giants. Mm-hmm. So are those stocks up 31%, 24%, or 5%? So if the value stocks are down too, these have to be up big, big, big for the numbers to make sense. So it's either 24, 31. I'll say the 31%. So they're actually up 24%. Oh, no, <laughs> for two. So you can see there's a big diversion between these different areas of the market. And really, there's only a handful of stocks that are driving the market return this year. So while overall the market's up, it doesn't tell the full story. Which means I'm on the precipice of going 0 for 3. Let me see if I can salvage one for us, Katie. Go ahead. All right, I'll give you an easy one. It's a true or false. Okay. So true or false, the return on the bond market is negative for the year. Well, that has to be true if the the stock, well, it doesn't have to be, but most likely that's true if the stock market is thriving, right? That's true. The bond market is down over 3% this year. I go one for three and in baseball, 333 makes me an all-star hitter. I'm going to stick to that. We love Evergreen Golf Call, a terrific partner. Start your search and learn all about them at evergreengk.com because they're everything wealth. Unfiltered. This is a tough stretch coming up for us. Uh, it's, it's, it's challenging as it can get. If we got to clean it up, we cannot give our opponents uh, the, the opportunity to have short fields and, and expect to get the kind of results we want. Seahawks are reeling after getting thumped by the 49ers on Thanksgiving, six and five with three ball buster games staring them in the face. The Seahawks no table is now in session. Taco time Northwest. The corn chowder is back. The corn chowder is back. My favorite. I might have already had it twice for a limited time. Brady Anderson, ESPN.com and the KP winner, I believe. The Hawk blogger, Brian Nemhauser. Brian, I asked all summer, everybody, including you, have the Seahawks bridged the gap with the 49ers? And everyone told me yes. Not just you. Everyone told me yes. Did we miscalculate? And if we did, where do we miscalculate? Yeah, Mitch. I might be the only one left that still believes that's the case. I think that the Seahawks team from last year, if they had shown up into this game, it would have been even worse than what we saw. I think that if you look at what 
the, the 49ers had over 500 yards in that playoff game last year. They had one of their lowest outputs. Brock Purdy had one of his worst games. Brandon Ayuk had the fewest catches he had had all season. George Kittle had one of his worst games. There were a lot of things about the way the Seahawks defense played that was significantly better against the 49ers offense, which is one of the best, if not the best offenses in football in this game versus how they played last year. At the same time, the offense just did not come to play in this game. And and so, yes, I think despite the fact I still believe the gap was closed, I think what everyone is missing is that the gap was very, very, very big. So you have to make up a lot of ground for it to be even close. And mm. they made up ground, but they did not make up enough. It's still a very wide gap between Bra- these two teams. Brady, why is Brian not making me feel any better as a Seahawks fan right now? <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm going to make you feel any better because I-, I agree. I-, I-, I think what we thought on paper back in March, April, May, June, July is still true that that the Seahawks did close that gap uh, at least a little bit. And what you saw was that, you know, they may have closed that gap talent wise on paper, but a, the 49ers, as Brian said, are still a lot more talented than they still have better coaching and they just flat out outplayed them. I think that last part was evident on a number of plays in that game where there's players on the 49ers who were winning one-on-one matchups with players on the Seahawks that you would usually like the Seahawks in that matchup. And so um, it's a combination of those things. And Brian nailed it, that it just goes to show, I think, that that gap was so big. There was so much ground to make up and probably too much ground Mm -hmm. to make up in one offseason. But look, what we thought about the Seahawks way back when, I think is still true. Um, But they got outcoached and they got outplayed in that game. And you saw... A really good coaching staff on a short week have a much better plan uh, on the San Francisco side than the Seattle side. And I don't think that that game should have been as lopsided as it was. I think paper to paper rosters, the Seahawks should be more competitive in that game and they weren't. And that's not so much on the roster construction as it is on just the fact that they got outplayed and I think they got outcoached. Yeah, the outcoach thing, Brian, we can talk about how the the gap has been bridged because of the great draft of the Seahawks or the 49ers bumpy off season, but the coaching staffs remain in place. And especially from an offensive standpoint, an offensive perspective, it's hard to argue that it seems like every time the 49ers play the Seahawks, they have the upper hand in terms of preparation and coaching on the offensive side of the football. I disagree pretty strongly on this point. I, I think if you look at it, the, actually the history has been Sean McVay has beaten Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll has dominated Kyle Shanahan over the course of their uh, of their matchup. So I don't actually agree that this has historically been true. I'm going to make you feel even worse about the Seahawks. So apologies for everyone listening. Everyone's going to want to say, hey, the coaching, we got to switch the coaching out. Everyone's going to want to say quarterback. We got to switch the quarterback out. Guess what? You do both of those things. This Seahawks team is still irrelevant, period, period. You have on the 49ers five, six, seven players that are all pro quality players that are top three to five at their position in the NFL. The Seahawks probably don't have any, if any that they do, it's one. It's Devin Witherspoon. It's their rookie. They need like five or six Devin Witherspoons to close the gap to be really competitive. How hard was it to find one of those guys? So I just think people want it to be a simple thing, want it to be, I I 100% agree. Shane Waldron, 
it really we did was not good in this game. I could debate about like his DK Metcalf strategy, all sorts of stuff. At the end of the day, my my evaluation is that's just not enough. I also think we, we need to sort of differentiate between having talent and your talent playing as well as they are capable of playing and as well as they should play. Let's let's take the two wide receiver cores, for example. Obviously, the 49ers uh, trio of Jennings and, and Debo Samuel and Ayuk far outplayed the Seahawks trio. Is that 49ers trio that much better on paper than Seattle's guys? Scheme. I don't think so. Scheme. Well, but but I'm saying it's scheme. It's also the fact that guys just need to play better. DK Metcalf needs to play better. The, those receivers need to get open. Now, there's part of it, too, is that they need to get the ball to those guys in more favorable situations. Correct. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, when he's making one-handed catches and he, he's like your only guy capable of converting a third down, he probably needs to get the ball more. But those guys, by and large, just need to play better. I think DK Metcalf is massively overrated at this point. I think that he's not close to Brandon Ayuk as a number one. I think Brandon Ayuk is in the argument for being the best receiver in the NFL or top three this year. I think Debo Samuel is significantly better than Tyler Lockett at age 31. And I think that the one place that I'd make that argument that I agree is I do believe Jackson Smith and Jigba is not being utilized well and has not been utilized well throughout this season. And there is, uh, that's absolutely scheme related. So I do think the 49ers receiver crew on paper is meaningfully better than the Seahawks. I think that DK Metcalf is a great athlete that we all have a lot of. But look, DK Metcalf should be A.J. Brown. He should be the player that we saw in Philadelphia in the playoffs with 145 yards and just unguardable. When's the last time DK Metcalf looked like that? How many passes did he drop in this game? That's not scheme. That's not coaching. That's just DK Metcalf is not as good of a player as I think we believe him to be. But still, I come back to scheme from this standpoint. The middle of the field, the intermediate 9 to 12 yards middle in the field. I watch week after week. The Seahawks defense get middled, we'll call it middled, get middled to death. Opposing teams send wide receivers nine yards down the field. They sit down in the zone, nine yards, they throw the ball to them, and then a linebacker comes from behind and cracks them after he catches the ball, and they gain nine to 11 yards. I watch that play after play after play after play against the Seahawks defense, and yet... When I watch the all-22s of the Seahawks, often they don't even have guys. They don't even have receivers in the middle of the field, Brady. All their stuff seems to be long-developing. Their crossings are deep crossings. Everything is down the field. They don't use that same middle, that same intermediate middle, the way other teams use it against the Seahawks. Am I Am I crazy? Am I not watching no. or am I am I on point? I, I think you're on point. Yeah. And, and that was the uh, the glaring issue or one glaring issue for the Seahawks offense for so many years in the Russell Wilson days. And, and the theory was always that, you know, as a shorter quarterback, it's hard for him to see, you know, the middle part of the field above those offensive linemen. I don't know how, how much of a difference, you know, two or three inches is really going to make there. But may, so maybe there is something to that. And you did see them last year get their tight ends a lot more involved. And I don't think it was a coincidence that it was because they had Geno Smith at quarterback and not Wilson. But now the middle part of the field is, again, kind of that dead zone. Now, in this game, I can understand that because, 
you'd rather be testing those 49ers cornerbacks deep down the field than you would throwing to, you know, towards uh, Greenlaw and Fred Warner and those great linebackers there. Um, I know they don't have their, their all pro safety anymore, but still, I think the, the better strategy was bit, to try those guys but deep, but it didn't issues. work. It brings up protection issues to throw the ball deep. You've got to give your quarterback enough time to be able to set up and throw the ball deep. And against this 49ers defense, there's never enough time. That doesn't have to be a deep seven-strap drop, though, that really stresses your pass protection. So, okay, th- th- think of that play. I think it was must have been late in the first quarter uh, where they're backed up against their own end zone and they try to throw a, a go ball to DK down the sideline. He gets by the cornerback, and if that ball is is a foot or two inside, I mean, it ended up taking him out of bounds, and maybe he could have done a better job of getting his feet in. But if Geno hits him in stride, he's gone for a touchdown there. So Ryan, at least on that play, yeah. I think it would have worked. How bad is Pete Carroll at picking offensive uh, uh, assistant coaches? You go back to the Washington. It was the Redskins back at this time when Mike okay. Shanahan, thank you, was the coach. You had Sean McVay, you had uh, Mike McDaniel, you had every single like, Jay Gruden. Matt LaFleur, they managed to, they also had Shane Waldron. Pete managed to pick the only offensive coach on that entire team that's not a great offensive mind. And the the reason I say that is good play callers not only have a sense of when to call a play, which I don't think Shane Waldron has demonstrated a good sense of how to play the game and feel what play to call at what time, but they give their quarterback and their team options on plays. If that first read isn't open, here's a second read that will make sense. That's different. And here's a third read that will make sense and different. You see the check to check to check in these games for, for Geno Smith, you see players at the same depth for a third and seven on the goal line that have no chance. There's no check down for a swing. There's no other option. And it happens time and again, and it's friggin' aggravating and it's, right. it's basic coaching. So yes, I don't think Shane Waldron's good enough. I think Pete Carroll made it pretty clear with his words this week that he does not think Shane Waldron's doing a great job. I also think you hit on it a little bit, Mitch, that look, we want to make it about, you know, play calling and, and, and skill players. Games are so often in the NFL one in the trenches. I know it's cliche, but it's true. And the Seahawks offensive line got blown up. The middle of their offensive line got blown up in this game. The right tackle got blown up in this game. And that made it really hard to run any kind of offense. So it, there's just there's a lot of problems to solve. Is this a long and fancy way, Brady, of saying this is not on Geno, that Geno is not the problem? I uh, I tweeted out. I tweeted out after the game that, A, A, if Geno really is the problem, then the blame goes squarely on Schneider and Pete Carroll. They take the fall for this because they put all their eggs in the Geno Smith basket after they traded uh, Russell Wilson away. They hardly gave Locke a a chance in the competition. They gave the job to Geno. He played very well for nine games last year then this offseason they didn't go out and get another quarterback they gave Gino the contract extension however you want to term that they they have shown the utmost faith in that Gino Smith is a quarterback that can take them where they want to be so it's on them a that's a b I also tweeted that if Gino had Kyle Shanahan or some bright offensive mind running offensive scheme, I think Geno would hardly be a problem. I think that this offense could thrive with a good offensive mind. Take on those a little bit, Brady. 
Yeah, I, I think there's merit to the the last point there because when I watch Brock Purdy, I, I, he does a lot well. He he can move around. He's accurate, but he doesn't have uh, elite arm. I wouldn't say he doesn't have elite like prototypical size. So, from a pure talent perspective, I don't think that Brock Purdy is way more talented than Geno Smith, which I think that speaks to a you know the weaponry there, but I think it speaks more to the play caller. And so I do think there's merit to that point. Now, to the point about this all being on on Schneider and Carroll and them putting all their eggs in the Geno basket, I don't think that's what they did. Re-signing Geno was the best of kind of a few limited options. And that contract was not an all in on Gino. That, that's a three year, $75 million deal on paper. That's could really be a one year, 27 point something million dollar deal. And the way that they structured it purposefully structured, it was that they could get out of it after one year. And so I, I think that contract really reflects more uncertainty about Geno Smith than it does a belief. So, so people are going to react and say that I'm defending Geno. This isn't about Geno to me at all. It is about John Schneider and Pete Carroll. In the 13 years that they've had drafts and all the draft picks they have, how many have they spent on the quarterback position? Two. Two. Russell Wilson and Brady, you know the other, right? Alex Magoo. Who could forget? Alex Magoo. Thank you. Alex Magoo is the other six-round pick or whatever it was. That is absolute, unacceptable approach to the quarterback position. As soon as Russell Wilson was even a question, they should be spending a pick every year on a quarterback and trying them out. And to me, what was unacceptable in this offseason was not the Geno Smith decision. That made tons of sense. That was like a logical path. And in fact, I think I give them a lot of credit for the contract they were able to get them to sign mm-hmm. to give them some flexibility. What made no sense is to bring Drew Locke back, who is not your future starter, to play behind him and get paid a decent amount of money instead of drafting a young player. They should have Dorian Thompson Robinson on this team with a later round pick that is getting a chance to see if he's any good. Maybe he's not, but you should be drafting a young quarterback every single year until you find the next one. Quick hitters, Tariq Wool and Brady, are we buying the shoulder explanation? Normally when a guy's got an injury and he's pulled off the field, he doesn't play special teams. He then plays special teams, and we saw a couple of instances where they didn't tackle early in the game. They let guys squirm away, get free, get first downs when they shouldn't have had first down on third downs, and all of a sudden, Tariq Woolen's not playing corner anymore. So, uh, an old-fashioned benching or a true physical limitation do you think yeah I, I think I'll buy that it was uh that it had a lot to do with shoulders a shoulder was apparently in a harness he didn't practice last Monday he was on the injury report all week so and, and I think there's a reason they put Mike Jackson out there because he's a really physical cornerback and they knew that those cornerbacks are going to get tested in the run game so that'd be a pretty quick hook I think to pull a guy for performance after you know one quarter where he missed one tackle but it wasn't like he was just getting toasted or anything Brian quickly do you think Woolen struck Struggling at corner. I think he's playing wonderfully at corner. Uh, I think he's had been coming off some three of his strongest games. It is possible this was a benching though, and I think Michael Jackson played great and was uniquely 
his skill set and his physicality plays really well in this particular matchup, I think long term, Willen is still your much better option. Brian, do you think D is going to take one back to the house <laughs> before his Seahawks career ends? He looks like he's ready to break one of those kickoff returns. And my second question to that is, why doesn't he return punts? Do they not uh, trust him? Do they not trust him to catch the ball? It's a different trajectory. It's a different art to catching punts than, than kickoffs. Here's the thing, Mitch. I, I love that question. DJ Dallas has actually had good numbers this year as a punt returner and a kick returner. I still just cringe watching him back there. I don't feel like he's an explosive player. I don't trust him to catch the ball. He fumbled it again. I think this is the second time he's done that. Unfortunately, the Seahawks lost that one uh, while the 49ers fumbled a key punt and the Seahawks didn't recover that one. Another key play. Eskridge had a great kickoff return. I would have liked to see him take it to the house, but he didn't. And I'd rather see him do punt returns. Like, so yes, I, I'm fully on board. Hopefully we'll see that. But the, the Seahawks are pretty big. The coaches are pretty big fans of DJ Dallas. So I don't know if we're going to see any change there. Yeah, they, they love Dallas. Pete Carroll loves his toughness. I, I think sometimes teams, and we've seen the Seahawks do this, they will sacrifice some of the big playability for the sure-handedness. That's why Tyler Bobby Lockett was back Ingram, there. Bobby Ingram, Bobby Yeah, Ingram. for so many years Brian because Walters. they trusted him first and foremost Doug to, to catch the punt. Yeah. But when you're not doing that, then all that goes out the window, and it, it makes just as much sense to have the more explosive guy in that role. So I agree. Okay. Lucas, yes, no, or maybe. Why do I have to ask this question every single week uh, <laughs> against, the, against the Cowboys? Yes, I think he's going to play. Going to play week. against the Luke, I, but but I do wonder if they're going to continue with that rotation at right tackle and uh, have him start and then mix in Jason Peters there. I still, as a distant relative to Mister Playoffs, Brian, think the Seahawks are in fine shape, basically because of the environment of the NFC. You've got the Green Bay Packers at I think five and six. Everybody else is four and six or worse. It reeks to me. That if the Seahawks get to nine and eight, they're going to be comfortably in as a wild card at nine and eight in the NFC. But we're looking at three more ball busters, and they're now on a two-game losing streak. Are we in the midst of a five-game losing streak? Tell me I'm wrong that we're not in the midst of a five-game losing streak, Brian. I think that's what you'd have to assume is going to happen. Really? Uh, Five in I, a row? I do think that you'd have to assume that's going to happen based on where the team is right now and, and what they're going to have to do. Pete Carroll, hard to believe he'll he'll coach a team that loses five in a row and gets their butt kicked in a lot of those games. But so we'll see. I just uh, I, I think my question is, as a Seahawks fan, is not whether they sneak into the playoffs, not whether they've managed to win a playoff game is are they clearly moving towards being a, a more dominant football team that can truly contend? And I just don't see that. I why? see this team. So why I see they, this team with personnel or is it coaching? I see it. Well, it's both, but primarily I see it as personnel. I see a lot of four, a players like guys that are good, but not quite pro bowl. Good. Not even all pro like forget all pro, not even pro bowl. Good. And Jordan Brooks is a perfect example of this. This is, we're not going to talk about off season too much, but that's going to be a big decision. He's going to be a free agent. He has never made a Pro Bowl. I don't think he's that level of a player. He's going to probably command 15 to 17 million a year. That would be an absolutely terrible decision for this team to retain not a great player. And so I think they have it in the wrong positions at safety, at, you know, to some extent linebacker. Like they need to have it on the offensive line. So I think they just don't have the young ascending talent other than at the cornerback position to say that this team is clearly 
growing towards taking that next step. And that's the bigger concern to me, even if they win a playoff game this year. KP update, because we didn't do a patron show last week, and we're not going to do a patron show this week because they play on a Thursday night in Dallas. Uh, The handsome, the dashing, the debonair, Brady Henderson comes through with, I believe, his third KP of the year. So it's 5-3-1. and Boy, the newcomer is just... Bringing up the, hey, come on. I had a, I was closer on margin of victory, yeah, so I, I yeah. feel like I should get a half a you KP get there. Shit, and you'll like <laughs> Mitch. It. Joe and I had this debate last year, and no. I, I argued the same thing, and I can tell you, I did not win it. You did so. not win. You did not win. So, with no patron show this week, guys, we'll have to do it via text again. The Seahawks in Dallas Thursday night on Prime, which I hate. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Brian Nemhauser, Hawk Blogger. Watch him all week on Twitter and listen and watch his stuff on on YouTube. Thank you very much, Brian. Thanks, Mitch. Happy Thanksgiving. And Brady Henderson, ESPN.com, Seahawks insider. Safe travels to Dallas, Brady. All right. Thanks, Mitch. Hey, look who it is. It's Lindsey Schwartz of Daniel's Broiler. I got to tell you, while my family was loving Thanksgiving at the downtown location, Lindsay's family was experiencing the Les Shy remodel after a couple of months. How'd it come out, Lindsay? Hey, Mitch. Happy holidays. Uh, it came out great. We had a great time. The space looks beautiful. The views are even better. There's more windows, bigger windows. We kind of rearranged the room and the furniture to take better advantage of the views. It's awesome. Uh, you got to check it out. You're going to love it. Yeah, we've already made plans. The Levy family has to check out the new remodel at Leshy, the original Daniels Broiler. Now, Daniels starts with a D. December starts with a D. There's nothing quite like Daniels during the holidays, Lindsay. It's true. I mean, we talk about how we're great for celebrations all year long, but December is such a great month for celebrating. And all four locations have something unique about them during the holidays. Leshy that we just talked about, you can see the Christmas ships on certain nights. The Lake Union location, you can also see the Christmas ships. Bellevue's the gorgeous views. Downtown Bellevue's all lit up. You can do the Winter Wonderland, the Snowflake Lane next door. And downtown Seattle's looking good right now. It's all decorated for the holidays. So it just feels festive at all the locations and a great place to celebrate for sure. And if your office is looking for a spot for private parties, Daniel's Broiler offers the best opportunity. We love Daniel's Broiler at Mitch Unfiltered. Obviously, world-class steakhouses. Hey, it's time for a visit with Zeke's president, Dan Black. And Dan, there's an obvious first question here. Does your son Hank fully comprehend that he could have been at a national championship contender and Heisman frontrunner had he stayed at home instead of being a trader and going off to Austin, Texas? Does he understand this? <laughs> You're hitting on one of my favorite subjects right now, Mitch. This is a this is good family uh, trash talk going on right now. Yeah, he does realize it now. He loves being a Longhorn, as you know. Austin's pretty fun. You were just down there, but and and he's a proud Longhorn, but he he's he's a a true blue husky too and so you know he was twisted up last year when we beat him in the alamo bowl and now of course he's loving what the huskies are doing and sure. longhorns are having a great season too but yeah let's put it this way the the huskies in the family trash talk the uh, long <laughs> speaking of football season last time you were on you told us about a football promotion that you're doing at all the zeeks first of all how's it going and second of all how about reviewing how we can participate yeah no it's going great pigskin 10 is super popular people are using it um, and just to refresh what the deal is is if you use the code pigskin 10 you get 
$10 off your order. Pretty simple. The order needs to be $40 or more before the discount. So $30 after the discount. Right. Uh, but the cool thing is you can use it as many times as you want during the season. There's a limit once per day, but you can use it as much as you want. And so use it whenever you're watching a game, watching the Hawks, the Huskies, whoever. We're getting a lot of orders with it. So it's popular. So it's Thursdays. Saturday, Sundays, Mondays. Is that right? Yep. What we call it football days. So Thursday night football, of course, college games on Saturday, NFL on Sunday uh, and Monday night football. So yeah, Beautiful. football days. Good, and, good reminder. And the code is pigskin10 for $10 off of all orders. And it's the fall and football season. So do me a favor before you go. Highlight one of Zeke's specialty beers that stands tall this time of year on that incredible menu of selections. Yeah, no, it's, it's fresh hop season right now in the fall that coordinates well with football season and fresh hop means that they take the hops right off the vine put it right into the kettle and so you get really a nice fresh hop feel mm -hmm. so we got two of them single hill lateral a fresh hop and uh varietals everything is blossom fresh hop so those that's those are the recommended beers right now that's awesome zeke's pizza from seattle all the way to boise homegrown in the northwest Second, am yeah. I supposed to say Slicky before you say Mitchie, or is it uh, the other way around? I don't around? know how I you do things here yeah. here on Monday. Yeah. So listen, <laughs> listen, listen, listen. We didn't have a show. We had no shooting the shit for patrons last right. week. So We're I, eating I, turkey I, and watching football. Right. So I've let you onto the big boy show. I've taken you from the kids table and I'm putting you at the big now don't embarrass don't make me it's regret it's a lot of pressure Mitch. don't make me regret this Slicky oh because I, I make know, no promises I don't want you teasing my Washington Husky fans <laughs> what, do audience. what do you think I'm gonna do I don't want Come you on. causing trouble I'm letting you to the big table now behave yourself Slicky okay I'm absolutely not gonna do that <laughs> Not this week. Not this week, Mitchie. Oh, my God. No chance oh of that. God. Your boy. This is going to be a fun week. This is crazy. You God, wanted it. You wanted week. it. I don't remember. What, what, oh, oh, yeah. What was the date of the game? I don't remember the date of the game when Oregon went to Washington and lost the game in, in controversial, somewhat controversial fashion, at least. Some controversial con to some. A controversial to Oregon fans about their coach. He had made some pretty questionable decisions, and they all mm -hmm. backfired. And I wasn't questionable from a, I don't think, from an officiating standpoint. No, no, no. Which, by the way, I, I was all for all three of those decisions. Those go oh, yeah. for it or no. no. Yeah, I was with it. No, yeah. no, you even told me, I thought, the one at the I, end of the first half. I kind half. of wavered on that one, but yeah. even then, I, in yeah. the moment, I wanted him to go. So but we all good. said, we all said, my God, that was a classic. You guys mm -hmm. were heartbroken. You yeah. came, you had a chance to kick the fugle at the end. It sailed yeah. wide right. And we mm -hmm. all said back on that date, wow, wouldn't it be something <laughs> if not only they played against one another again in Las Vegas, like the first Friday in December, but yeah. what, but what if not only they played each other, 
they both won out from here on in and played each other. Like, yes. it's a one-loss Oregon team only to Washington, and it's an undefeated Washington team. We all just wonder, wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be mm-hmm. swell? And <laughs> here, the game that just played didn't even matter. <laughs> well, and we could go in. I mean, and and now look at it. It really kind of didn't matter. It didn't matter, <laughs> which sucks for Huskies fans. Yeah, probably does. Well, I mean. What? Other than the feather in your cap of you got one against Oregon, but unless you handle business on you know, Friday in Las Vegas. I have a second cousin who's named Mr. Playoffs. Yeah, I, I've spoken with him before. You've spoken with him before. Once or twice. Yeah, and and he asks a question, and even you guys as Oregon fans might have this much, and I have my fingers very close together, this much compassion and empathy in your hearts. Whenever... Has the college football committee essentially said to a big five conference team, I'm talking SEC, Pac-12, yeah. Big 12, a big school, right? Okay. When has is, when is the committee ever said to, to one of those schools, for you to get into our playoff, you got to win every game on your schedule and you got to beat the best team on your schedule Twice, mm. anything, mm. anything short of undefeated and beating the best team on your schedule. Oh, by the way, and I'm just going to say it. You're going to like yeah. this. The best team on their schedule happens to be, I think, the best team in the country right now. Ooh. Okay. So the committee is literally saying to Washington, if you believe this, you got to go 13 and 0 <laughs> and you got to beat the best team in the country twice Anything short of that, 12 and 1, anything short of that, you're not in our playoffs. They have they have literally this is what Mr. Playoffs would tell you. They have literally in, they have in never a vacuum like yes. in, if you look at it that way, sure. If you look because they have of never just where said that at. to any other school and they right. ne- and of course they never will again because we're going to 12 teams sure. starting next year. But that's but a had, that's a but pretty had Washington lost to like USC along the way or even maybe this weekend lost or to Wazoo. I don't or know about that. Or, or lost to Oregon. Oregon, yeah, or Oregon State right. anywhere along the way. And then won the Pac-12 championship game. We've talked about it and you've talked about it with Rick Neuheisel. They, they wouldn't be saying that. It's just the circumstances now that we're here and they're 12 and 0 and they're facing Oregon saying, here in the Pac-12 you're, championship. You're, you're saying that had they lost the game to Oregon State, and I think I agree with you, by the way, on this, but yeah. I, I want to understand what you're saying. You're saying if they lost the game to Oregon State and then they turned around and beat Oregon this Friday for a second time, they mm-hmm. probably would still be, depending upon what happens around the country, they'd yeah. be a 12 and 1 team. You're saying the committee would then probably let them in and they wouldn't I, I have think to go it's more than probably. Okay. Even. All right. So, so what you're saying is, they're still making Washington <laughs> beat the best team in the country yes. twice. Yes. Once is not okay. You guys beat them. That's fine. We're we're gonna discount that win altogether, and we're gonna make your sorry asses turn around and beat them twice. I mean, that's a it's a pretty high bar they're making Washington go through. With the tough. emphasis they place on conference championships, or at least they say they do, and they're going to have every opportunity to prove that here uh, after next week. Um, that's that's what they're saying. Yeah. That's what they're saying. So, and the truth is, what you really should be saying to me is, had Oregon won the game yeah. and the roles were reversed mm-hmm. and everything else was exactly the same, Yes. They'd be saying the same thing to Oregon. Yeah, you beat them in Washington, but you got to beat them again. You got you got to beat them again. 
Got to prove it. You got to. Yeah. You got to prove it. Prove it. You got to prove it. Difference. I just. These are two different teams. It feels different. Than they met. It feels different. At Husky Stadium. We think that. I think so. I've watched. I've obviously I've watched every Oregon game. I've watched a little bit of Washington, too. It just, I don't know. Oregon seems like they've gotten better every single week. Correct. Washington, they seem like a team kind of struggling to find their way. Yeah. I mean, we know we've yeah. talked about how they they play up or down to their level of competition. Yeah. It almost clipped them in the Apple Cup. It's almost clipped them a couple different times. Now, in terms of the game on, on Friday, that's the one thing that gives me just a little bit of, of pause because from an Oregon fan's what perspective. What gives you pause? What the you- fact that Washington, I mean, they, they have do. been in these they, close, tight do. games. Oh, I see. No, they've been in these close, tight games, and they know how to win them. They pull them out every time, and yeah. that's okay. there's something to that. Oregon hasn't had a close game since the Washington game. And they've only had two close games all year. One of them was Texas Tech back at the beginning, you know, in the non-conference. So that that worries me a little bit. Oregon is Mike Tyson when he was coming up Mm -hmm. and beating everybody to a – I mean, knocking guys out in the first round. Guys were knocked out before the bell rang. They'd look at him in the middle (laughs) of the – remember, he'd stare him down. He'd be like a caged tiger in the middle of the ring for the the instructions from the referee, and bam, these guys were done – Oregon is Mike Tyson. And it's Mm. funny that you say all the things that you said about the pause because Washington knows how to win close games. Everything points. And I am going to, I'm sorry, I have to. I got to bring back my old friend, Bino Cook, for a second. Bino. Everything points, as you say, to Oregon winning this rematch and potentially winning it easily. Yeah. They look like the best team in the country and Washington looks like a team that's just barely scraping by. But I'd say two things. One is Bino. It's just never that simple, is it? It's never. <laughs> there's a reason why they why they live in big houses and they send their kids to Ivy League schools. Now, of course, those guys are making Oregon a double digit favorite as right. we speak. <laughs> so there's that. But I, I, here's what I would say. Here's what I would say. And this is maybe a little bit of a pipe dream. I'll be pulling for Washington. It's not like Syracuse in the Final Four college basketball for me, but I'll be mm-hmm. pulling for Washington on Friday. And if you said, Mitch, contort yourself, come up, give me something to scare Oregon fans a little bit, a tiny bit, I would just say, A, they're due. Washington is due. B, McMillan seems like he's back. Yeah. He was better in the Apple Cup. He should be better on Friday. And then three, and here's the biggie. Here's the biggie. Perfect conditions, fast track. Mm-hmm. Penix doesn't have to worry about torrential downpours at Oregon State or cold weather or wind or wind. Some of these throws that he makes that are long-distance throws. It's right. going to be inside. It's going to be 72 degrees. There's going to be no wind. It's going to be a fast track. And I would think that those are the types of conditions that Washington wants to play in. Would yeah, you? you're absolutely right so, about that. So those, would be, those right. would be three things. McMillan, yeah. they're due, mm-hmm. and the perfect kind of offensive playing conditions and track. Yeah, I I, I hear all that's, that. And that's maybe a stretch because I when, still I still think Oregon looks so much better to my eye than Washington. 
But when is it ever so obvious? It looks too obvious. It's too <laughs> obvious, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I feel pretty confident. I, I just really do uh, just because of everything I've seen since that yeah. game that was played. Yeah. And, you know, that that offense you talk about in the perfect conditions, I mean, that's just factored in for me. Like, oh, Washington's going to play a really good offensive football game. I think that Oregon's defense is gotten better as the season's gone along so that right. certainly helps and, and maybe that's an extra stop or two but Washington's got to stop Oregon too is the thing and that's that's what I really circle is that that Washington defense against all the weapons of Oregon and you know just kind of the final test for Oregon I thought was the Oregon State game which is you know, can they go and just execute a drive, not have big plays because they didn't really have a bunch of explosive plays, but they were methodical. They moved the ball down yeah. the field and had drives and yeah. finished drives. Yeah. They they played Oregon yeah. State's style against them and just kind of proved that they can go out and, and do it in any kind of game. Look, I know they uh, nearly won a national championship where they lost to Cam Newton and mm-hmm. they've had really good teams before. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I'm telling you this year. I think the stars are aligned for Oregon more than they've ever been for a few reasons. First of all, I think they're terrific. They're the most balanced team. And then I think the obvious is I watch Alabama play. I watch Georgia play. I even watch Michigan play in Ohio. I just don't see where those teams or any dominant team of those three. I think Oregon's better than them all. And mm-hmm. I, and I and I just feel like that if they beat Washington on Friday, th- there may not be any team that beats them. They may just w- go right through everybody and win a national championship. And the guy will be in the Heisman <laughs> Trophy on top. Of it. It's no one's playing better than that guy. It's unbelievable. It. It's unbelievable. It's crazy. Yeah. It's uh, it's been a fun year. And I'm going Friday. I'm going to Vegas. Are you? I'm going to Vegas. Are you? I got it. I got. I just got to get a ticket now. But yeah, I'm going. I'm <laughs> gonna be ticket. there. I gotta get a ticket, uh, but no, I'm I've, I'm booked. I'm I'm flying. When are down. you and I gonna be doing shooting the shit with Mitch and Slick this week? Uh, we'll do it. We'll do it Thursday night. We'll still record. But that's it Thursday before night. the game. We don't want to record anymore before the game. Where are you gonna be after the game? Uh <laughs> hopefully celebrating <laughs> somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in Sin City, celebrating. Oh, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Okay. Maybe 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 I'll give you a little. A little glimpse of Slicky's uh, celebration or something like so that. So for as excited as you are yeah, for your beloved college football team, Woo! how do you feel about your favorite NFL team these uh, days? Don't do this to me. We did what we've done like 14, 15 minutes and it just happy, fun. Now we got to do this. What the hell's going on with your favorite NFL uh, football team? God, do you have any answers? You no, know, I, I are they in the I middle? The are they in the middle of a five-game losing streak as we sit here? Probably. I mean, what? Cowboys, Eagles, Niners again? Yeah, Cowboys, Niners, Eagles. But yes, and I they, mean, yeah. yeah. Are they in a five-game? Probably. Is nothing we can do about that? Can't they? Those win are one? good teams. Can't they win one? Well, look at the Ravens. Look at the Niners. Those are the two teams that have been on their schedule that are good playoff. Super Bowl contending teams and they got waxed and that's the kind of team that the Cowboys are and that's the kind of team that the Eagles are and that's the kind of team that the 49ers are again so they're probably gonna get so waxed. what should they do do, do you want do you want me to tell you what yeah. they should do yeah I, I've been I feel like I've been saying it for a while not well, for a while now what fire everybody maybe not Schneider but fire everybody else 
I'm not a fire everybody guy, right? I'm not somebody who I'm not knee jerk like that. I'm, but it's just Mitchie. It's just time. It's time for a reset in this organization. It's time to stop <laughs> why middling, she, why and middling about and mediocrity. Why does Schneider get a pass? I think he's really good at talent acquisition. I think he's good at the things that, that I don't think talent's the problem with this team. I think it's a very talented team. You do. I do. Coaching, probably both coordinators and, and the guy who's putting it all together, Pete Carroll. I think it's time for a reset. You're just, you're not going to get back to a dominant position. I don't think to where you're competing for Super Bowls with Pete Carroll any longer. I just don't. I felt that way for a while now. This rebuild personnel. I love the players on this team. You I do. really do. You do. And we could talk about the quarterback and we could talk about Geno Smith and everything. This team is just mediocre every year, year in, year out. They're competing to be and you pretty think, good. And you think the personnel on this team screams that they should be more than mediocre, should be better than mediocre. I think I don't so. know that I agree with you on that. I think you have certainly a playoff caliber roster and bordering on what could be, you know, a top two or three seed roster in the NFC. I, I just don't see why these players wouldn't be able to do that with the right coaching. There's one guy putting it all together. And if nothing else, if nothing else, even if you thought maybe Pete Carroll wasn't the problem, everything else and all these iterations of coordinators and coaching and everything uh -huh. and nothing improving after a while, you just, you have to make a change. You have to, but I think you need a fresh face. I think you need a new philosophy. All right. Quickly, as I ring the bell. Yes. Are you happy to see Gino, the other Gino, go? Everybody wants the quarterback Gino to uh, go. They got their wish. It, it was a different Gino that went. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I was sad, you know, to see that. Um, and Jerry's going to sell it how Jerry sells it. Oh, well, you get, you know, a young guy and this guy can throw 102 and what we've done. And I think about that locker room and that clubhouse and they're bumming, right? That, how could that feel for them? I think about the offensive production that we did get out of Gino Suarez, which, by the way, that was when you think about the deal that got him and Winker here, right? That was like playing with house money. Winker was supposed to be the offensive guy. He was Yeah, he was the, the salary dump yeah. in the deal. Yeah. And look all the production you get out of him. Yeah. And to just see him go like that. Look, I get it from a overall philosophy standpoint. You're not going to get much for him because most teams can, they can just grab something off, off the waiver wire that's going to be just as good, right? But yeah, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. As is this, a fan. Is this new guy going to play third base? Yeah. <laughs> he's got he's got no Urias? pop. Yeah, he's got no pop in his bat, right? Uh yeah, he had like 23 home runs did a couple he? years ago. Oh, he did. He did? Uh, but that was a couple years ago. And uh, look at what he did last year. He aren't stunk. You, aren't you supposed to have third baseman, first baseman and DHs that can hit the ball into the stratosphere? Into the into the stratosphere? Yes. Am I wrong about that? You are. Don't, don't most teams have first baseman, third baseman and DHs who can pound the freaking ball like like beer swigging Softball players? Am sure. I wrong about that? Um, well, contending teams. I mean, teams that you know want to win World how Series. Are they That's do, what you have. How That's are they doing at first, players. third, and DH these days? Well, Ty France, I think he had twelve home runs last year. <laughs> I had 12 home runs last year. <laughs> DH, you know, that's kind of a rotation between what Dylan Moore and 
like whatever AAA player they just called up. I know they didn't bring back Mike Ford, so that leaves a big hole at DH. And now third base, you're going to have Arias there. So does Jerry realize that they use the DH now? That that both. <laughs> well, the Ameri- he's been in the American League for a while. I think. <laughs> I even think it's in the National League now. It is in the National yeah, League now. Th- th- has somebody sent? Did he miss the memo <laughs> that we actually use DHs uh, now, God. and that most teams DHs hit like 30 home runs? Does he not get that? There's something coming, obviously, or yeah. in their plans. I yeah. have no idea what it could be. Uh, it's probably going to piss me off because <laughs> it's probably not going to be good enough. Have a safe trip to Vegas. Yes. Do yourself a favor and don't tease Husky fans so much. Are you kidding? You're this no- is going to be so glorious. Look, I, do you know how bad I wanted this Husky team to be undefeated going into this game just so you got Oregon it. could break you got their hearts? Oh, I got, got it. You got it. Everything I wanted. If it should not work out the way everybody thinks it will, including yeah. you yeah, and your confidence, uh-huh. are you going to be okay? If Washington should stand up and all of a sudden play a game the way they were playing earlier in the year and Penix goes off and they win a, they win a shootout. I mean, if gonna, I have high gonna, expectations you, of this game. Are you setting yourself up for a fall? And Oregon crumbles and Washington beats them and goes on to the Final Four and Oregon's left out? Yeah. Will be, I be okay? Are you going to be okay? Mitchie, I am a Seattle Mariners <laughs> fan. I will be just fine. Oh. <laughs> Hell of a fall. I might need I might need some consoling, but I'll be all right. And luckily, I'll be in Vegas. It's just the place well, to do it. Well, this is not shooting the shit with Mitch and Slick. That's no, they, no. Do I ring the that. bell at the end, or what? How do we end it? Usually, you ring the bell just kind of anywhere. You just you're kind of willy nilly with the yeah. bell. You just you like the bell. All right, shooting the shit with Slick and Mitch <laughs> on episode two hundred and sixty four. I think it is two hundred and sixty four. Is now nice. in the books. It's J-Flow time, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Mitch Unfiltered. Jordan Flowers, the Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. How are you, J-Flow? Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Price is right. Here we go. Oh, I'm great. Uh, you're doing all right. Tough times, big numbers, challenging rates. What can you tell us about buying and selling homes these days? You know, rates are high. It is a challenging market, but it is a good market for the buyers we're working with. They are not having to compete still. The rates are elevated, but they are getting homes at prices where they're not having to elevate. So it's a good time for buyers. And real estate is always a great investment during inflationary times to hedge against inflation. So yeah, still a good time. And you were telling me before we started about Fannie Mae. Tell our listeners. Yeah. So they just came out about a week ago and uh, made it possible to buy three and four plex properties with 5% down. It used to be 25%. Now, if you're looking to buy a primary residence, as a three or a fourplex, you can put a minimum 5% down. And then the beauty is you can use the other two to three units that you're buying to use the rental income from those and use it as the income to qualify for purchasing that asset. So fourplexes, you can borrow up to one and a half million dollars now in this market. So 5% down on that and use the income from it to purchase it. So great opportunity. And for all of us who need some help, whether we're buying or selling or refinancing, we're going to call the Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage because your team is the best. How do we reach you on your phone? You are calling me or texting me at 425 890 
800-529-2957. And that's the direct line for Jordan Flowers, the Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. Great partners of Mitch Unfiltered. Where would we be without them? Unfiltered. Other Stuff segment, episode 264. You will not be with us on episode 265 after the Washington-Oregon rematch. I will not. It's funny how that happens. You've been telling me for months that you you worry about that rematch. Yep. You worry about that rematch. And now, coincidentally, you're yeah. not going to be on the show after that rematch. It's I not should, a coincidence. You should be able to, be able to put everything together, no, shouldn't I? I'm planning on staying away from this microphone after that game. Other stuff segment. Do you know the name Blake Snell? Yes or no? Sure, yeah. Yeah. He was where you were on Saturday. He was, yes. Did you know that? Sure. Well, he was on the, the big screen. On the big know? screen, yeah. yeah. Blake Snell, the reigning Cy Young Award winner in yeah. the National League, free agent pitcher from Shorewood High School. I, I thought Shoreline. Yeah, he's from Shoreline. Yeah, Shorewood High. I he made a he might have gone to Shorewood High. He was at the Seahawks 49ers game raising the 12th man flag. Now he's at the Huskies, yeah. Cougars, Apple Cup. He's hanging around, man. He's hanging His around. Town. He loves There's it. There's all kinds of rumors that he would play for less yeah. if he could be home where his family can watch him play. He's only the reigning Cy Young Award winner. Now, the Mariners don't need pitching that I know of. They need players who can swing a bat and actually make contact with the ball. That'd be nice. But uh, I'm intrigued. Yeah, I, you know, people on Twitter love to just act like they're journalists. And yeah, yeah. I, I saw somebody yell at Blake Snell, come to the Mariners. And his response was, tell him to come get me. So take, really? take that for what it's worth. Yeah, really? Tell him to come Are get me. Are these the same people on Twitter that tell you that Washington has zero mathematical <laughs> chance yes, I believe if it. they lose in the uh, Friday night Pac-12 championship? Same game? exact people, same yes. Anyway, I could hang with that. Despite the fact that they need hitters and not pitchers, I just close my eyes and I wonder, oh my God, if they ever sign Blake Snell. And throw him into this rotation. But won't Mariner fans be not pissed off, but just be like, dude, we need bats. I mean, it, it, I think it, certain guys transcend Mariners fans being angry. A two-time Cy Young Award winner who's from here. Yeah. I think Mariners fans would would not be angry with that. I get it. I wouldn't. They either, would but... say, a lot of them would say, Why are we doing this? Right. Why are we doing it's like this? The but... Seahawks like going out and get a free agent wide receiver. You'd be like, Receiver, that's not really the problem, right? No. So that's kind of, I don't know. Did you like the fact that Otani, they're not even going to make a play? We've talked about this. I don't know if you and I talked about it. Yeah, we've but... talked about it on the show. I asked you what's worse, them saying we're not even going to make a play <laughs> yeah. or them kind of pretending, making an offer that they know will get declined and then coming out when he signs with like the Dodgers or wherever, them saying, ah, we gave it a shot. <laughs> Which worse? Which scenario is worse? I think just coming out and saying it is not good. Really? You yeah. want them to play the game? Yeah, like so the real- at least make people think there's a chance oh God. that you're in it, that you give a crap. He's not in their future. He's not in their plans. No, he is not. No, he's not. Neither is Gino, the other Gino. Yeah, Gino got traded. Man. It's funny. What did he hit? Like 220 and fans are outraged. But people love Gino. They they do. He was something more than just a baseball player in that clubhouse. Yeah. Yeah. He had some big hits, a big timely well, hits. And maybe last year he wasn't as good, but the year, year before. before oh, yeah. yeah, really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. And plays a really solid third base and is out there every single game and does does have the ability to hit the ball out of the ballpark 25, 30 times. So they've gotten rid of Teoscar <laughs> and they've gotten rid of Gino. 
two guys that can hit the ball out of the ballpark, two guys also that strike out like 250 times a year. <laughs> right. So we'll wait and see what they do next. Former USC Trojans defensive coordinator Alex Grinch is yeah. wasting no time getting out of town. He put his house up for $4.5 million in Palos Verdes pad just two weeks after getting fired. Now, I didn't know that his place is just a five-minute drive from Lincoln Riley's $17 million house. So that might explain why he's trying to move it along here to not see my neighbor who just shit-canned me a couple of weeks ago. One of the great under-the-radar college football coaches in America is changing venues. Okay. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State. Would you not agree? Yeah. Jonathan Smith has done more with less at Oregon State than just about any coach in the country. It seems like every single year they are more than just competitive yeah. in Corvallis, Oregon. Well, Oregon State's getting infamously left behind by the Pac-12. Well, he's not getting left behind because he has taken the job at Michigan State. The new Michigan wow. State Spartans head coach, head football coach, is none other than Jonathan Smith. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. That's a good gig. Mich- I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. Traditionally, I mean, that's, yeah, a, that's a good gig. It's a really good gig. Yeah, you can get players there. All right. Yes. So I don't know if you I'm sure you saw this sad, incredible, heartbreaking, ground shaking news that the longtime friendship between Hall and Oates has soured. Yeah, I saw that. that there's a lawsuit pending. I don't and I never really knew which one was Hall and which one was Oates. Oates has the little had the little mustache. Yeah, the dark. Like, yeah, the dark. Daryl Hall is like the main singer, the blondish kind of John guy. Oates. Is yes. Daryl Hall and John Oates. So I, I guess there's a restraining. It, Hall was begging for a restraining order against yeah. Oates, which was granted the following day in effect of November 30th. Now, we don't really know what it's about, but it sounds like it's about who can sing what when they go out on solo tours. Oh. And I also heard, not confirmed, that Oates wanted to sell the publishing like Katy Perry did and Bieber. And Daryl's like, I don't, I'm not ready to do that. And I don't want to cash out right now, but Oates wants to. And there's a restraining order against Hall and Oates, which is like the most heartbreaking news ever. I mean, if you grew up in the 80s, they were enormous. It's not all in all surprising to me, and I'm going to tell you why. Okay. In 1996, I saw them at the Gorge. Okay. I went to the Gorge and I saw them. They opened for Carly Simon. That's some ticket. And I noticed some tension. <laughs> You noticed it 27 years ago and you didn't say anything till now? Holy crap. I could sense something was up. Now, I couldn't really put my finger on it back then. Yeah. But now that you say it, I go back now in my mind Mm -hmm. to that 1996 beautiful summer night at the Gorge. And yeah. Yeah. There was something going on then between Hall and Oates. Couldn't figure it out at the time. Oates gave the double bird behind Daryl during the show, during one of the songs. During Maneater. He was pissed off. Yes. (laughs) The amount of puns, though, have been hilarious. Oh, come on, guys. Say it isn't so. Uh, Boy, these guys really seem out of touch. Out of touch. Out of touch. They're going to need a private eye to keep an eye on each other. They have a ton of hits. Do they? More than you would probably. Really? Well, I mean, you went and saw them. I mean, did it feel like you knew every song? Every almost? single song. Yeah. But but I was preoccupied with the tension between the two of them on stage. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> While you're on the uh, subject of music, can I just tip my cap to the one and only Dolly Parton? Can we all just yeah. bow to Dolly Parton? Did you see what she did on Thursday? Yeah, I have it in my notes. Yeah. She's almost 80 years old, hotshot, and she's out there at halftime of the Cowboys game rocking the Dallas Cowboy cheerleader outfit. Now, how many 77-year-olds are willing to go out in front of millions and millions of Americans 
in the Dallas Cowboy cheerleading outfit. How about Come on. how many 47-year-olds would not She's many. 80. She's almost 80. Right. She's self-deprecating. She's incredibly philanthropic, mm-hmm. gives money away left and right. An amazing, good-hearted person. I remember reading the articles during the pandemic that, like, Nashville or the state of Tennessee wanted to erect a statue of her yep. at the state capitol or something. And she was like, no, 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 no. Wrong time. This is that, the yeah. wrong time for that. Please don't do this. Maybe someday in the future, if I still make you proud. 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, I never gave thought to Dolly Parton being, yeah. like, an incredible human being. Oh, she's an icon. I mean, she's just, like, she a is national like, treasure. She is, like... 30 years ago, I would have said, ah, she's kind of a joke. Yeah, she was like a country star with big boobs That's and right. the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you read more about her and you watch the way she oh, goes yeah. about her life and her business. It is incredibly admirable. She's a she's a really interesting person. And I watched it. I watched it on Thursday. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was like doing nine to five and all. Jolene. Of, you know, Jolene. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know I needed Dolly Parton singing Queen songs in my life. Of course. But it was I needed awesome. it. It was so great. Yes. Man. She was great. Anyway, yeah. I just wanted to tip my cap. We will rock you and we are the champions. She did. Both. Boy, yep. that was amazing. Yep. You see your buddy Oscar Pistorius will yeah. soon be a free man. I thought he is a free man. Didn't he get out? Did yet? it already happen? Well, this might have been a little, a few days old, but yeah. He's eligible for parole. I know that. Yeah, after being granted parole two years earlier than expected for the murder of his girlfriend, Reva Steenkamp, in 2013. Uh And I think if I were him, I'd leave the murdered my girlfriend part off the Tinder profile when he gets out. I think he'll probably do that. Play that close to the Hey, congratulations in order, Hotshot. Yes. Congratulations to your buddy, Ichiro Suzuki. (laughs) He's a maniac. Talk about a guy who just can't give it up. I'm being very serious. Congratulations, Ichiro. (laughs) 50-year-old. Yeah. What a performance yeah. against that high school girls all-star team. He threw a complete game, nine inning, five hit, no earned runs, two walks, nine strikeouts. Yeah. He went the entire way. The bullpen didn't even have to come out and save him. 116 pitches. He topped out at 86 miles an hour. Gosh. And he had two hits at the plate. What a performance against that high school girls team. Yeah. Well done, Ichiro. Tip of the cap. I love that he went the whole way. Not like, I'm going to give, I'll do a couple oh, he of innings. the ball and- up. The manager tried to come take the ball from him. <laughs> I love that part that he's like, nope, nope, I'm pitching every single. Also, congratulations are in order to your friend, Greg Popovich. Did you see what he did the other night? You know, I don't like Greg Popovich, right? Yeah. What did he do? I saw it on Twitter. What did he do the other night or what did he do that I don't like? I've never liked Greg Popovich. No, what did he do, what did he do the other night that you're talking the about? The other night, they were playing uh, the Clipsies, the Los Angeles Clippers in San Antonio. Yeah. Kawhi Leonard, who began his career oh. in San Antonio, yeah. every time he touched the ball, the crowd booed, yep. booed. He was at the free throw line, the crowd booed. And in the third quarter, Popovich had had enough. <laughs> yeah. He grabbed the PA microphone and he scolded his own fans saying, Come on, be classy. That's not the way we do things in San Antonio. Stop it. Cut the booing out. The sanctimonious Greg Popovich, (laughs) the bully. He belongs in the Bully Hall of Fame with Bobby Knights and the Jim Bayheims. Greg Popovich has been bullying people his his entire career. Yeah, the sanctimonious... bastard that is greg popovich grabs the mic and scolds the fans this isn't cleveland holier than thou greg popovich you got you you guys start behaving the way i want you to behave that's right now do you think the booing got louder or softer (laughs) if i know people something tells me it got a little louder yes all right a woman on a frontier airlines flight threatened to pee in the aisle yeah she was blocked by the flight attendant i never quite understood the articles that i read about that 
never told me why she was being blocked. Yeah, I, I couldn't. Do you know figure, that? No. Okay. Maybe they're about to land, or maybe someone was in it. I don't know. But video of the incident is beverage it, cart. It's going. It, I don't know if you saw the video, but it yeah, went viral. It shows yeah. the woman telling a plane full of people she yeah. didn't give an f about mooning kids and emptying her bladder for all on board to see. But of course, people flipped out and said, "No, you can't do that. You can't do that." Get a cup or something. I mean, really just on the carpet right there in the aisle you thought was you the best You have to move. drop your drawers right in the middle of the flight. <laughs> she did, actually. Luckily, I know, she didn't I know whiz, she did. But... She was screaming, yeah. Yeah. So they say Some went... really crazy shit happens on flights. It went down on a flight from Florida to Philadelphia. Keep selling those $79 real... flights. Jesus. Some really <laughs> crazy things yeah. happen on flights. Really, these days, it's crazy, yeah. Can I get a get better soon for Paul Stanley, your friend Paul Stanley? What's going on with him? I'm surprised yeah, Kiss, I missed this. Kiss recently canceled multiple concerts on their farewell tour after the singer-guitarist Paul Stanley fell ill Tuesday, November the 21st in Ottawa, Canada. That was called off due to an unforeseen illness in the band party. The following day, the band announced that their Toronto show on November the 22nd which was to be the final Canadian stop of their end-of-the-road farewell tour, was also canceled. In a post on social media, Stanley sent a message to his fans, including you, a photo of himself in bed with an IV drip. Wow. Toronto and Ottawa, I've done everything possible to get on stage and be a part of the incredible two-and-a-half-hour celebration we planned, but this flu has made it impossible, he wrote. I, along with Gene, Tommy... Tommy Thayer, yeah. Eric. Eric. Yeah, it's the drummer. I don't couldn't be more disappointed and send our deepest apologies. I don't know who these people are. Well, it's it's two of the originals. So Ace. Ace is out. He is out. And so is Peter Chris. Peter Chris, Ace Freely, Gene Simmons. Beth, I hear you calling. That's their biggest hit. Is it? On the radio. Yeah, their biggest And it's him who sings it, right? Paul Stanley? It would be uh Peter Chris who sings that, but the, the drummer sings Beth. Auction time. John F. Kennedy was assassinated 60 years ago. So who ago. sings Beth now? I think the drummer still sings it. Like the it new can't drummer. be as good. I love that Beth song. Well, <laughs> I think he does a shockingly good rendition of it. Oh, really? I think they, I, hmm. that band is going to go on without Peter and Gene. They're, they're just, I'm not Peter, but without Paul and Gene. They'll just find two guys who look and play like them, and they'll just send them out and just no, stay home and just no. keep raking Gene in the Simmons. checks. And no you, one once will give you lose shit. Gene Simmons in the tongue <laughs> and the fire and the yeah, blood, once and you lose, oh, you can do the fire and the blood, but once you lose Gene Simmons, come on. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past Gene them. Simmons. Now, all right. So we know Kennedy was assassinated sixty years ago, but they're yep. still fascinated by this story. Yep. Some people willing to pay huge money for memorabilia. Some items tied to the case recently hit the auction block, and a handful of them went for a pretty penny. Two large patches that were cut straight inside from inside the car where he was shot yeah. and which are covered in his blood. Ooh. Two patches of leather with his yeah. blood still on it. Yeah. 50 grand somebody Ooh. paid for those. It's unbelievable. Have you ever done the book depository tour in Dallas, Texas? No, I was in Dallas for work and I wanted to do it, but you I haven't should done do it. it. It's not as far as you think from what people say, right? From the view it's down. No, it's it's exactly where it is. But I mean, you people, you stand in the window where the right. the gunshot was, and you can like almost throw a rock to the street, right? Like right. It's not that. Oh, I, I see what you're saying. Pe people think oh, it's no. like you can stand in that window and you look out and you feel like it's 1963. Yeah. I mean, it, you can feel the whole thing happening right in front. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I heartily read. If you're ever in Dallas and you have, and, and it really not a long tour, you go through the depository, you put on headsets, and they they explain to you some of the different things about the day and what was happening. And then yeah. it culminates with you in the window. Pretty cool. 
where the shots were fired. Yeah. And you look down and you see the weaving of the road. You see the 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 grassy knoll. The grassy knoll, sure, yeah. You see everything. It's just it's it's definitely worth 90 minutes is probably all you really need yeah. to do it. Next time I'm in Dallas, I'm going. You should do it. So Lee Harvey Oswald's personally owned revolver went for 31 grand and even the bullet Jack Ruby fired at yes. Lee Harvey Oswald. $18,000 somebody paid for a, the bullet that killed Lee Harvey Oswald. People are continue to be so fascinated with this I'm sure this whole story okay couple other items Elvis Presley's jewelry's going up for grabs his iconic lion claw necklace I don't know if you can picture it no, or not no half a million dollars Ooh. is what they think that's going to go for one of Elvis Presley's necklaces don't go see the movie Priscilla I saw it I wasn't planning on it yeah, no. don't go. Don't yeah. Go. and then a Victor Wembenyama fan is clearly believing the hype surrounding the NBA's newest phenom purchasing his rookie the rookie's debut jersey ah Nearly $1 million, $762,000 for a rookie's jersey. Now, will that be worth it in 50 years when the grandson goes to sell it? can't imagine that it will be. Really? I don't know. Maybe it will be. I don't know. It depends on how good he is. Well, that's what I'm asking. He Make seems a really good. He's not dominating game in and game out, but he's having games where he's incredible. So, okay. Which I is guess, kind of a rookie thing to do, right? Yeah, I guess. But he's not supposed to be any ordinary rookie. Yeah. He's supposed to be the greatest rookie. I think the jury's still out, but yeah, there are definitely flashes of brilliance. Games where he's incredible. Definitely. Yeah. RIPs, you got any? Marty Croft. Got it. Yep. He, him and his brother Sid created a bunch of television shows HR that Puffin captured audiences from Saturday morning to primetime, including, like you said, HR Puffin stuff. Yep. And Land of the Lost and variety shows like Donnie and Marie. Yeah. Sure, you love. I'm that. a little bit country. Whoa, what was the other one again? And I'm a little bit rock oh, and roll. Oh, that's good to know. He passed away in his home. He was 86 years old. Yeah. And then, of course, we have longtime Seattle TV weather forecaster Steve Poole. Yeah. Passed away uh, early onset Alzheimer's disease. He went to Taiyi High School in SeaTac. University of Washington. Yeah. He was a student body president by, of course he was, right? Yeah. And then in 1984, became Como's chief weather forecaster after going back to the UW for specialized training in atmospheric sciences, which yeah. makes me laugh when I see my buddy Stephen Kilbreth giving the weather with the weather on the news. <laughs> Something tells me he didn't go back to UW for specialized training in atmospheric sciences. <laughs> Jesus, just reading the goddamn teleprompter. Uh, anyway, Steve won several Emmys for his work, breaking ground. Very nice man. One of the first black weather forecasters in the country, and I can tell you as a kid, as love the game of golf. Did he? Yeah. Somebody whose parents watched Good Morning America almost every day. When Steve Poole would fill in on Good Morning America, it may as well have been my dad. I was so proud. Like, yeah. hey, our Steve Poole's on Good Morning. That's incredible. Look at him. So anyway. I believe he was a lo- I, I believe he was a member of Seattle Golf Club. Love the game of golf. I remember meeting him on a golf course for the first time in Echo Falls. Mm. He came out to the first tee. I wasn't playing with him, but he came out to the first tee. And no one that's ever played Echo Falls, was better dressed on the first team. <laughs> is that right? Oh, <laughs> immaculate. He was, Im- immaculate is a perfect word. Yeah. He was so beautifully dressed. Yeah. Now, his wardrobe was far superior than his golf swing. Yes, this has been a I think he made contact to the man. <laughs> Go on. I think he made contact. It wasn't pure contact, yeah. but he looked marvelous. Yeah, I'm sure. And he loved, at least he loved playing. He was a very sweet man. I knew him a little bit. He was a very sweet man. I can tell you as a kid who grew up here, if I would have seen like Dave Craig in 84 and Steve Poole, I would have been just as starstruck at Steve Poole. I mean, huge part of my childhood. We, sure. We watched Channel sure. 4 News Really good at what he did. Really good. Very likable. and Great presence about him. Yeah. Smart, smart guy. 
Very, very nice. Sorry to see that we lost him at age 70. Probably very could nice. have moved on to a bigger market. I mean, he... Yeah, he, I think he was offered opportunities and turned him down. He wanted to be in Seattle. He filled in on Good Morning very America nice. 70 times. We lost Kathy Gertzen years and years ago. Now yeah. Steve Poole. You know, they kind of made that Dan Lewis, yeah. Kathy Gertzen, Steve Poole. Oh, yeah. And it's... then Eric Johnson on sports. That was it. And before that, I think it was Bruce King. Bruce what? King with a play. Ah, the, the Seahawks. Of the night. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Was Bruce King... Was he... Channel Four was he Como? Yeah, he was with those yeah. guys. So that that's who I grew up with: yeah. Bruce King, yeah. Steve Poole, yeah. Kathy Gertzen. Yeah, amazing. Mm. So yeah, rest in peace to Steve Poole. R.I.P. to Willie Hernandez. Do you remember the name? Sixty-nine years old, thirteen years in the big leagues. He did something very unusual. Do you know what he did? I don't. In 1984, he's a relief pitcher. Okay. In 1984, it's one thing to win the Cy Young as a relief pitcher, which is really hard to do. Think about that. Having yeah. to win the Cy Young as a relief pitcher. Can't imagine it's happened that many times. How about the fact that he won the MVP of the league also? <laughs> as a relief pitcher? Yes. Good Lord, the how same good was year. he? In 1984, he won the American League Cy Young. He won the American League MVP. And he won a World Series title with the Detroit Tigers, all in a magical 1984 season. Uh, he pitched 80 games that year, half of their games wow. out of the bullpen, a 1.92 earn run average. If you'd like to know who he who he duked out for MVP of the American League, Kent Herbeck finished second, Dan Quisenberry third, <laughs> Eddie Murray fourth, yeah. Donnie Baseball, Don Mattingly fifth, wow. and finishing 12th with a 284 batting average, 27 home runs, 116 RBIs. 12th place finisher, Alvin Davis. Oh, sure. Mr. Mariner. <laughs> I'm familiar with him, yeah. He's a three-time All-Star wow. relief pitcher. Willie Hernandez passed away suddenly at the age of 69. This is an interesting one. A guy by the name of Harold, and I think they pronounced it Hasselbach. Not I, bad. Yeah, it was a C-H, right? C-H. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. C-H, not any relation to Hasselbeck. 50, you know his story, 56 I years old? No. Okay, it's really interesting. He played... 11 seasons of professional football with the CFL's Calgary Stampeders okay. and the NFL's Denver Broncos. He was a defensive tackle, a big, huge, 6'7", 270-pound defensive tackle. Wow. So he played 11 professional seasons. He had a distinguished 11-year professional career. Okay. But he played virtually zero in college. He went to a place called the University of Washington, and he... Found himself on Don James's team behind two guys by the name of Dennis Brown oh. and Steve Emptman. Holy shit. Those are two pretty good ones. <laughs> when interviewed recently, he says he played four snaps in his college football career wow. from 1985 to 1989. Four snaps. He says in one of them, I tackled Emmett Smith in the Freedom Bowl. Sure, 88, 89. I don't yeah. know what year it was. Yeah. He played four 89. snaps of college football <laughs> and then 11 years in the NFL. That's... Now, how good is your college football team if you've got a 6'7", 270-pound defensive tackle no who shit. plays four snaps in four years and then plays 11 years of football in the National Football League and the CFL? Dennis Brown was a really good Defensive lineman at the UW. Really good. There was no beating him out. So he says, timing. The, he says the funny PS to the story is I couldn't get any action at Washington. And then while I was playing for the Denver Broncos, the team brought in Dennis Brown and Steve <laughs> Edmond for tryouts oh, and they didn't make the team. Amazing. That is amazing. 
Wow. They were both free agents. They came in for tryouts, but they decided not to sign them. And here I am on the team. <laughs> right. See you guys. The tackle. <laughs> That's a really cool story. How old was he when he passed away? Uh, 56, my age. Wow. That's too bad. 56 years old. Yeah. That's an amazing story. Mm. Man, the timing of it sometimes in sports, right? I mean, being behind that guy and Steve Edman too. I got one quick one before okay. the headlines. Sorry. Mark your calendar for December 10th. Bengals versus Colts. If the quarterbacks stay the same, it could be Jake Browning and Gardner Minshew. Let's go. <laughs> How about that? Well, I saw on Sunday that Jake Browning mm-hmm. threw a touchdown pass. Yes. To? Da, da, da. A Husky? Yeah. Ross isn't on the team anymore, is he? A tight end. Oh, is it Sample or no, Drew Sample? Drew Sample. Yeah, yeah. Now, the interesting part of that is Drew Sample went to Newport High School in Bellevue, Washington. Wow. Then went to the University of Washington and arrived on campus at the exact same time as a quarterback from Folsom, California named Jake Browning. They were in the same recruiting class. Wow. They played the same four years. They played in the 19, or sorry, the 2016 college football playoff game against Alabama together. Yep. They graduated together. By the way, Sample was drafted in the second round as a blocking tight end, yeah. and Browning wasn't drafted at all <laughs> right. after an unbelievable <laughs> career at uh, University of Washington. And then on Sunday, Browning was hitting Sample for a touchdown Unreal. for the Cincinnati Bengals. It could have been John Ross, too. He could have been John Ross. Could have been all three of them. Let's go. The, the Husky offense taking over Cincinnati. Headlines, please. A raw food diet for dogs is taking over TikTok and appears to be catching on. I tried to capitalize on this trend, but for some reason, rawdog.com was already taken. I get it. The Ukrainian... Before anybody texts or <laughs> tweets, that went right over Mitch's head. I got it. The Ukrainian sabotage of the Crimea Bridge overturned naval operations. Wait, there's actually a Crimea Bridge? So does that mean there's a Crimea River? More of a question, but that'd be awesome. A Brazilian singer has been taking her underpants off at concerts and having fans drink through them. She holds the underpants out over their mouth and then pours liquor through the, like filters it through her underpants into their mouth on, on stage. She's actually going to start bottling this product and we'll call it Whiskey. Historian Rodney Powell of the cl- claims the <laughs> first terrible. Thanksgiving actually took place in Florida 56 years before. Florida man. Before the year 1621, the first Thanksgiving, he says, was in Florida. Yeah. It's not confirmed, but judging by the dated decor, I'm pretty sure it was held at Mar-a-Lago. And finally, an intensely liberal nudist resort where guests are free to engage in activities whenever and wherever they want while being naked is being called the Disneyland for adults. Yeah, I've actually been to here, and sadly, I was sent to It's a Small World. Okay, hotshot. That one hurt. Maybe you ought to take next week off. Uh, <laughs> what, what about the week after been, that? You've been suspended. <laughs> what about the week after that? One and the week. week after that. You know what? You're exiled to San Diego to go watch girls <sighs> softball or basketball. Uh, it'd be uh, softball. Softball. Yes. Go AB Pettit. Episode 264. All right. So it wasn't all that good. But we're going to be better the next time on episode 265. You and the garage definitely will be better. I got to find somebody. Episode 264 is in the books.